0: The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24 7 non stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! It's one out. He oh, no. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
1: Oh, yeah. A's have a day off. No one's here at HoHo Camp Park. We don't take a day off. We're A's cast live. We're every day, all day. As the great Bill Belichick once said, no days off. We don't take a day off. We have a phenomenal show for you once again. Melissa Lockhart, who's covered the A's and the minor league system of the A's for many years on the Athletics. She'll be here. I should on or in? I think in the
2: Athletic. Yeah, in the athletic or on. You can say either, I think. All right. Uh, that's the commander. How are you today? Great. Uh, last day here for me in spring training, but it's you're been... You're leaving? Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I've had a... You're right. There's no one... Oh, wait, nope. There is one person here in the stadium that we see. Uh, literally, there's literally no one else here. Well, the great uh, Pam Pitts is here. That's true. I did see Pam earlier, and I saw a few other people, but where we are up in the press box, there's literally nobody here.
1: And by the way, yesterday was her 20th wedding anniversary, so congratulations to the great Pam Pitts here at Hoho cam Stadium who essentially has dealt with every A's player that's ever come through the door
2: and you're coming you're closing on 20 years right a couple more years uh,
1: in July will be 19 years for me 19 long long <laughs> years. Ned Coletti, the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and now with the San Jose Sharks, we'll talk a little baseball with Ned. Of course, he worked for the Giants for many, many years. It's Wednesday, so that means what? It's Ray Fossey Day. Fossey will be here at 2.30. Eno Saris, who we love Eno. I mean, we tell you that we bring on the top names in baseball, and when you think about baseball writers – I and mean, there's a reason why this guy's on the MLB Network all the time. Eno Saris, absolutely fabulous. Remember last year, called a game with Vince Catronio here on A's Cast that was all about analytics. And the top producer, researcher for ESPN, Paul Himbikides, will be here. Himbo, who you also get to hear weekly on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. Uh, I just did an interview literally 15 minutes ago, with Tim Neverett, who is TV and radio play-by-play for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the A's are taking on Dodger Blue tomorrow here at Ho-Ho Camp Park. So just, you know, getting ready for the interview, doing what I do. Man, these guys are good. Like, wow. you You, you really forget what Andrew Friedman, and what Dodger baseball has been the last couple years because they haven't won the World Series. They lost twice, Astros, Red Sox, then got bounced by the world champs, the Nationals, last year. But, man, you start looking at their lineup. This is their lineup tonight against the Giants. Mookie Betts, you got Muncy, Turner, Seager, Pollock, Kiki Hernandez, Smith. You got Kershaw on the mound. I mean, that's not Bellinger's not even in the lineup, and that's a great lineup. People are talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers. If they stay healthy, they could have one of the one of the great lineups in the history of baseball. I mean, when you're going Betts, Muncy, Turner, Seager. And we don't, we're not even talking about Bellinger being in there? They've won their division seven straight years. Yes, you can say they're like the A's, by the way. And it's something that I address with Tim, and you're going to hear this interview tomorrow before the game. We'll have A's total access for you at 1230. And then, of course, I'll be doing the talk show, A's Cast Live, which you're listening to now. I'll do it after the game till 7 o'clock. The comparison between the Dodgers and the A's is similar. Not not money, not the way you do business, but the fact that last time the Dodgers won the World Series was 88, the heartbreaker against the athletics. And the last time the A's won was in 1989. So you're going to count the A's in this since they won in 89. But since the Dodgers last won the World Series, there have been 18 teams to win a World Series. Eighteen. More than half the league has won a World Series. And once again, the A's are in there because it was 89. So since 1988, 18 different teams have won the World Series. And that's not the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, they kill it in attendance year after year after year. They print money. Their TV contract is huge with Time Warner. And even though not everybody can see it, and I don't even know, you know, I, I didn't address that with Tim. I, I don't know if he knows, but they got cable wars going on down in Southern California. But the fact that this team in that town with that kind of money hasn't won a World Series since 1988 is pretty shocking. But this team is stacked. And now you're going to throw David Price in there where you watch David Price's numbers got instantly better getting out of the AL East and going to the National League West. Because now you're pitching in a bunch of pitchers' ballparks compared to the band boxes of the American League East. Dodger Stadium Well, with the juice ball, kind of everything's been a little offensive. But still, Dodger Stadium is a pitcher's ballpark. Especially at night with the marine layer. San Diego, pitcher's ballpark. Once they move San Diego from inland, which would be Mission Valley, to right by the convention center in downtown, which is right on the water. Big time marine layer. And then, of course, San Francisco, where they're having to move the fences in. So three of the ballparks you're going to pitch in are pitchers' ballparks. Now, obviously, Coors Field and Arizona are highly offensive. But David Price, don't be shocked if David Price puts up some good numbers this year in the National League West. And they're going to win this division. They're going to win the division for the eighth straight year. They're on like a Braves-like run. Now, the Braves, who won their division, I want to say it was 14 straight years, and is a record, they only won the World Series once. Played a bunch of World Series, but they only won it once. That's where the Dodgers are kind of, you know, they're going to be in the playoffs again. I, I, I don't envision, I mean, there would have to be utter disaster for them not to make the playoffs. And that will be eight straight years of being in the postseason. And then I saw this today. Baseball prospectus, top 100 prospects.
2: Dodgers have six. They've got six. I was going to say, I think I might be able to name a few of them without looking Ginger Guard. One. Gavin Lux. Two. Ruiz. Three. Uh, well, they got rid of Jeter down, so he's not on the list. <sighs> I haven't studied her. Okay, I know three of the six. You've heard of Dustin May? I said May. Oh, you did say I, May. I said Ginger
1: Guard. I don't know who this guy is. Gray. Oh,
2: Josiah Gray. Yeah, he's a right-handed pitcher. And then Miguel Vargas. And Go- Goslin. Yeah, he's another pitcher. I, I know. Mean, so I know all of them. I've heard all of them besides Vargas.
1: I mean, you got six. Guys. You've got Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger in the same outfield. And you and you still have six guys in the top 100 prospects
2: and Jock Peterson in his 36 home runs sitting on the bench. Jock Peterson can't get in the the damn lineup unless he plays first base. I mean that it, it literally
1: is disgusting. Well, he can't play first base. Our old friend Max Muncy plays first base. That's true. Yeah. What's uh because Muncy's, M- Muncy's not going to play second because that's going to be Gavin Lux. Who, I got to tell you, this kid better be hell on wheels for as much as they've protected and kept him. But that's the thing about the Dodgers. And I mean, normally I don't want to lead the show off talking Dodger blue. But I was just, I was fascinated researching them today and reading up on them. It's just like, Damn. I didn't think of them maybe as the favorites to win the World Series, but you should. Who is the – aren't the Yankees the favorite in Vegas? Or they were
2: before all the injuries. Yeah, they were.
1: I take the Dodgers over the Yankees right now. Remember
2: a lot of people thought that the Dodgers could win over 100 and, or the Yankees could win up to close to 120 games before Judge and Stanton were pretty much not going to play on opening day. They probably – Severino's they, injury.
1: You know, one if Blake Trinan gets back to being Blake
2: Trinan? It's a deadly setup man for Kenley Jansen.
1: And I saw this statistic. Mind-blowing. 28.3. 28.3. That's the percent of pitches outside of the strike zone that Dodger batters swung at in 2019. The lowest chase rate in the National League. They don't swing at balls with their what, – what, what's the – God, his name's hard to pronounce. What's their hitting guru called? What's his name? Oh, uh,
2: Robert Van Soyak, their hitting coach. Soyak, that's
1: right, yeah. I mean, they, obviously he's doing something because these guys, they don't swing and miss, and when they do swing it and they hit it, they hit it hard. I mean, Jock Peterson, by the way, of Palo Alto, and I learned because he went into the, uh, he went into the uh, Hall of Fame –
2: also honored at the Santa Clara Hot Stove That's was he with the Mark the, Hanna.
1: He, he didn't show up. He's but, busy. But I didn't realize that uh, he was a great football – wide. shouldn't shock you because you see how athletic he is in the outfield. He was a great high school wide receiver.
2: So was Mark Hanna, believe it or not. I found that out doing the path on him. Mark was a good uh, high school wide receiver as well. But, yeah, I never heard – I knew Jock played football. I didn't know he was a good wide receiver at Palo Alto High. By the way, I was looking at the Dodgers rotation – just on their, protect, their projected depth chart, you know the pitching staff is going to be good. When Walker Buehler is slated to be the number one starter behind ahead of Clayton Kershaw, who is a like I said, we can say he's a Hall of Famer.
1: Let me ask you this: Who would you rather have in the lineup,
2: AJ Pollock or Jock Peterson? Jock, because remember Pollock is the biggest free agent in the Friedman and and his team have signed since they that they've been there. And he was not. I mean, he was okay last year, but his playoff was in the hurt. playoffs he was he was awful. He's he has an injury history going back to when he played in Arizona. But Jock had thirty six home runs. He's going to strike out a lot. He doesn't have a high batting average, but who cares? He hits home runs. That's what we want in baseball. If you if you hit a home run, that's great. Hey, if they want to send him up to Oakland, well, oh, yeah, since the the Angels deal isn't going to happen, I don't think.
1: If, if the Dodgers feel they need to get rid of him because Andrew Friedman signed. Pollock and he you know, he's gotta he's he's gotta prove that investment. If they want to get rid of him, uh I think
2: he'd look good in white cleats. They also have Chris Taylor still too. And with Piscotty hurt. Yeah, you could be you got a great fill in player. And uh, can you imagine seeing him at home runs? Who was it a couple weeks ago? We we're talking about uh Puig playing in the A's outfield, now we're talking about Peterson. It's we love Dodger former and current Dodger outfielders.
1: I I, I mean and he can play essentially all three outfield positions and he can play first base. So he's a versatile guy. And then of course we have the DH. You wouldn't take a guy who's essentially a 35 plus home run guy that was doing it at Dodger stadium. He did. I mean, bring him to bring him to Oakland, have him hit over 30.
2: I like Chris Taylor a lot too. He's that guy. That can play second, short, all the out, every, all three outfield spots. He's still relatively young. He's another guy the managers just gave up on and let him go. And uh, look what he's doing. Then, well,
1: he's another guy that changed his swing. Yeah, he.
2: And this, I think he's one of the guys. Like, he fits the Dodger system so well. He's one of the guys that he's like Muncie. He'll play anywhere they ask him to play. And I think that's what makes that makes him a special player. Then that's why they hold on. The same with Kike Hernandez. He plays multiple infield positions, and I've seen him play the outfield before too. That's why they're so good. They have so many guys with versatility that they can put in their lineup. Who just like people like Jock, who just sit on the bench and they get, "Hey, Jock, we need you to pinch it." And he goes in there, he'll probably hit a home run for you or strike out, because that's just what he does. The prototypical three three true outcome guy. See,
1: I knew, I knew guys would be here today. I knew. There's gossip. There's fires. I knew it. They're like, oh, players won't be here. You kidding me? There's Daniel Gossett and Mike Fires. Mike Fires just waved at us. They both
2: did. Friends of the program. Friends of the program. Mike Fires. Where are they going? Probably going to work out or warm up or just you know toss the old ball around. Well, Fires is going tomorrow, right? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what Tim Everett said. And
1: Daniel Gossett is coming back from Tommy John. You know, I heard – who had the interview with him? I think it was Vinny. It was Vince, yeah. Vinny had the interview with him where it was very telling about what these guys go through. And I've talked a lot about it with Chris Bassett. But when you're hurt and you're not around the team and you're, like, down here rehabbing, it is a lonely, lonely place. You don't feel a part of it. It's just a really tough situation. And Gossett's going through that, so a time like this is great for Gossett to be back with the team, back-throwing. You know, we have made Tommy John way too easy. We in the non-science community have made, oh, it's Tommy John, he'll be back in 12 months. I, I, Commander, you've been a victim of this. You were a victim of it recently with Lance
2: McCullers, Jr. Mm. I still think he's going to pitch a good, good amount this year. You're, you're right. You're like, oh, Lance,
1: yeah, McCullers is coming back, but he's a Tommy John guy. So you 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 think he's going to get run out there for 32 starts and 200
2: innings? No, they they need him. They need him, <laughs> but they're not going to do that. I think. Well, we put the the over under. I think when we did buyer science, it was 23 because his career high and starts was 22, coming off where they need someone after Verlander and uh, soft tossing Zach Granke, as we found out earlier about Granke's workouts.
1: Oh, that was a uh, a. a a really interesting interview and article today on Hardball Talk about Zach Greinke going old school. And Zach Greinke going old school now has an uptick in velocity. And what Zach Greinke is doing is less workout, more just throwing. That's what they did in, in, in the old days. Raleigh Fingers, Raleigh Fingers, when we did the interview with him, Raleigh Fingers didn't work out. Raleigh Fingers, what he did in the offseason, he swam laps and threw. That's what they did. We have guys throwing less than ever before, and we have more guys getting hurt. You should throw all the time. I'm not saying off the mound. It should be long toss. You should throw all the time. Throw with a football. Throwing a football helps strengthen your shoulder. Long toss helps strengthen your shoulder and your arm. Less throwing and more weightlifting has proven to be wrong. You can say all you want about higher velocity. I'll say, great, show me the Tommy John surgeries. Show me the injuries. Show me how guys can't go more than six innings. They're fatigued. I had somebody tell me, someone of very high recognition, tell me that he can't believe how the modern-day player, there's just a little bit of a a, a, – you feel just something a little bit, next thing you know, you're in the training room. These guys are so hypersensitive about getting hurt. Now, the average person would say, well, of course, you're a professional athlete, but the reality is you're never going to be 100%. These new front offices are trying to keep players at 100%. So the minute they feel a little something, they're going to the trainer. Uh oh, I felt this little. You're not. Once you start playing, you're never going to be 100%. Very rare. And you got to learn to play through and pitch through discomfort. Because if you don't. You're always going to be a guy that, by the way, is on the shelf. The best ability is availability. The guy, you you want to make money in this game, and you want to stay around for a long time, you got to be able to take that ball every five days. You got to be able to get a lot of ABs. As they say in football, you can't make the club in the tub. That's my little spiel. You
2: wanna, do you want to? Do you want to hear from Granky? Yeah, I have the audio.
1: I want to hear from Mike Fires. I got to talk to Mike Fires at FanFest. but Mike Fires, if we can get him, it would be great to bring him up here. So when they're coming back, Commander, you need to roll down there and see. Hey, can you come up for a couple minutes?
2: Okay, we'll see what we can do. Yeah.
1: Because Mike, Mike, you know, let me, and I'll say this to Mike, and I've, I, and I've said it. It bothers me that Mike Fires has come over here and led this staff. And the A's have played in two straight winner take all games, lost both, and Mike Fires didn't pitch in either one. Something's not right about that. Mike Fires has done nothing but. Produce for the Oakland Athletics since he came over from Detroit. He was the leader of the staff last year. He emerged as one of the leaders the year before. In a winner-take-all Yankees Rays, Mike Fires didn't pitch, and that just doesn't seem right to me for what he has done for this franchise. And I know, I know, and I know people now are. Talking about, okay, who's going to be the opening day starter? I have no problem. Just Let's just say it now. Mike Fires is the opening day starter. The veteran is the opening day starter, and let it fall where it may. You might want to switch it up because you have so many left-handers. If A.J. Puck is able to go at the start of the season, if not, then now you're going to have three right-handers and two lefties. So however you want to mix that up. And I have a feeling you're going to want to, you're going to want somebody who you think is going to give you a lot of innings to be behind Jesus Lazardo. They are going to baby Lizardo. That's just, whether you like it or not, that's what's going to happen. So if I start Mike Fire's opening day, I probably would want to go Jesus Lizardo second. And then third in the rotation, I would want to go Frankie Montas. Because I think Frankie's going to give you some... Frankie's poised... I mean, last year he was dominant. I know, PEDs, he said sorry, screwed up. Took a substance that he shouldn't have taken, that he didn't realize was going to get him busted, but it happened. But I see Frankie as a guy that can give you seven. So if you're going to have a really strict pitch count on Jesus Lizardo, who do you think? I mean, the two guys that that I would count on to give me innings are going to be Mike Fires and Frankie Montas. What about Bassie? Bassie's going to be your five. So you'd go Fires. You go Jesus. You go Frankie. Then you go Shamanaya fourth. And then fifth spot in the rotation is Chris Bassett. Until Puck's healthy? Because
2: you're doing, you're doing the nice, the, you know, the righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. One through five. Yeah cuz you're until, this, until Puck gets back.
1: Until 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 we know Puck can go, this is if you haven't heard, if you're just paying attention, AJ Puck has been shut down. It's going to be shut down 5 to 6 days. Then they're going to reevaluate. And then cuz once you get shut down, now you got to go through the process of building your stamina back up. You know, and after 5 or 6 days he's still not throwing, then he's not going to he's not going to start the season with the club and they'll put him on the IL, and Bassett will be the number five guy. So that's – if if I was setting up the rotation, and we'll talk to David Forrest on – is it Friday we're talking to David?
2: Yeah, Friday. I'll figure out a time, but you're going to talk to him down here at, at the uh, at hulcombe Park. Friday is David Forrest, Saturday, Billy Bean. That'll be about the third time we've had Billy? We talked to him at the winter meetings. We talked to him at the wild card game. Now we're going to talk to him at spring training. That's three times people. People want here, Billy. We even have one on the newest A's Unfiltered with Fosse. He's on there as well.
1: Yeah, he and Fosse sit down every single year for a uh, a come together to start the season here at spring training. But I, I go with that five any day of the week. Fires, Lazardo, Montas, Minaya, and Bassett. I, I I I have no problem going into battle with that.
2: No, not at all. And don't forget about the guys we have down in the minors. Caprillion and Holmes and Jeffries, although Jeffries had a little problem. Uh, I like where the the future of the rotation is, where it is currently and where it could be going with the guys that are coming up through the system as well. Yeah. Jeffries is the guy I want to see. Um Caprillion too, because he was a big part of the Sunny Gray trade. And he was highly titled with the Yankees, but those but I want to see what the staff we have coming up this year, what they do, especially if AJ Puck comes back healthy as well.
1: Well, no one uses five guys anymore. Melvin had that. Melvin told us what it was one season he had that in Seattle where he just used five guys. Yeah, what trying to see. I think the fewest recently I wouldn't bet on this, but it was either 2000 cuz got to know the got to know the Tigers really well in uh 12 and 13 from our ALDS series. It was either two, I want to say it's 2012, but it's either 2012 or 2013 the Tigers only used seven starting pitchers. And that was by far the least amount in, in baseball. That's impressive. to only use seven guys in a season. Because the a's, a's, as we all know, usually use a ton of guys during the year. But right now, I could see them using, if you take the opener out. And by the way, uh, when, when the Tigers did that, no one was doing the opener. Those are, like, legit starting pitchers. Those was only seven starting pitchers that they used. But now with the opener, it's changed a lot. But if there is no opener, I could see the A's, if they stay healthy, using six guys. Maybe seven at the most. Bassett's going to give you that swing starter when Puck gets back.
2: What do you got? I'm looking at the – I remember it was the 2018 Astros – they had a run, a streak going where they only used so many starters. And I think some, I think it was when McCullers got hurt in April or in August, where they had to use different starting pitchers. They used eight, if you don't include Chris Davinsky starting one game as a reliever. I looked at the Tigers; they had a couple of relievers start, but it looked like around seven starting pitchers to pitch for them that year. And so the the Astros in 2018 used eight, if you don't include Davinsky. so nine t- altogether. But
1: and but and, and by the way, do you see the success of teams that have that? Those teams are really good. Those Tigers teams are really good. The Astros are really good. I mean, that's the thing about starting pitching. You can say all you want about bullpens. And everybody's bullpens, it, a bullpen is essentially you're rolling the dice. You got no idea. Look how good the Yankees' bullpen was. But they were burnt out by, the, by postseason time. That was part of the Yankees' problem. And that's what happens when you burn your bullpen for six months and then you get into the postseason and these guys are burnt. That's why starting pitching in innings is so key. If you're having your relievers have an ERA higher than the starters, that's a problem. Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic is going to join us coming up here as we'll get into a lot about the A's, prospects, 2020 season, right here on A's Cast Live from Ho Ho Camp Park.
0: Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
1: Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic is going to join us in moments. Don't forget, single game tickets are on sale now. Huge matchups in Oakland this year. Astros, Yankees, Twins, Rays, Red Sox, the National League East, Mets, Braves. Be cool. Ronald Acuna Jr. coming to town. Of course, Trout, Judge, the Polar Bear. Single game tickets on sale right now. Athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. You know what you forget every year about spring training? It's horrible allergy season down here. Everything is starting to bloom, and you just feel it in your throat. You feel it in your nose. You forget every year. And they said that, like, there's this certain flower that only blooms X amount of years, and this year it's blooming early, and I guess it's just absolutely beautiful. But if you have allergies, being in the Valley of the Sun – at this time of the year is not a great time. Melissa, welcome to A's Cast Live. Thank you for taking the time today.
3: Thank you. I, I took my Zyrtec this morning, so I'm all set.
1: <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about, right?
3: Oh, oh, yeah. All right. When we
1: look at the A's in 2020, and always when I come down to spring training, and you were here Uh, I think there's themes, and I think the biggest theme for me is that the confidence this team has. You know, two years ago, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they won 97 games. There was no expectations. Then last year, it was, well, let me see them do it again. And they did it again and won 97 games. And now I get this sense of confidence. These guys, for the first time, this group, this core, they're really ready for the fight.
3: Oh, yeah. No, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's a a core group of guys that have played together for so long now, dating back to the minor leagues, and they've won everywhere they've gone. And they they just, you know, they know how good they are, and they know how good they can be. And I don't think they feel uncomfortable, you know, kind of saying it and feeling that way. And, uh, yeah, I think they they expect to be one of the best teams in baseball. I think they would be disappointed if it was only 97 wins this year. And um, you, you get that real sense when you're hanging around the clubhouse.
1: You know, you've covered the minor leagues and been around the A's for a long time, and it's still just uh, head-scratching. And I talked about it with him the other day, Matt Olson, that at one point he was playing right field. He's arguably the best first baseman Uh, in the game, especially defensively. This is going to be a big year for him, I think, for the country to really realize how special. But the fact that he was playing right field, and I know Melvin at that time, Melissa, was in contact with him, telling him, don't worry about it, you're the first baseman of the future. Just talk about what you saw, and did you realize he was going to be this good?
3: Oh, yeah, you know, dating back to his time in the Arizona Rookie League, right after he was drafted, you know, you just started hearing, like, this is a legitimate good defensive first baseman and you don't hear much about defense when it comes to first baseman you know most of the time someone's drafted at first base because they don't play defense very well so he was an outlier to begin with and uh, you know everywhere he went he just looked like a big leaguer at that position from the beginning and you see some pretty rough defensive play up and down especially in the lower level the minor leagues and you never saw that from him I mean you know he and Matt Chapman became professionals and they were big league uh, defensive players already
1: Yeah, and defense really has been the hallmark of this team. I know a lot of people, you know, have talked about the bullpen two years ago or they talk about the power that we've seen the last couple of years, but you can speak to this also since you saw these guys coming up. Defense is one of the reasons why this team is so good.
3: Yeah, you know, and Bob Melvin mentioned yesterday that um, that wasn't the case two years ago, and and it's very true. I mean, I think – or 2017, I guess we're three years now, but, um, you know, when you were looking at that big league team in had so many of those kind of veterans and funny spots and battles and playing right field and all this sort of weirdness going on, defense was a real detriment to them being able to pitch to their uh, expectations. And, and I think he sort of wore the team down offensively too, because you'd end up giving away all these extra outs and within six months you know they had turned the whole thing around and now I think they're as good as any team in baseball at fielding the ball so uh, it's a remarkable turnaround um, and it's all been a pretty homegrown turnaround too which I think is even more remarkable
1: about two hours ago you put an article up in the athletic about the 2019 first round pick out of Clemson Logan Davidson Uh, tell us about your article it sounds like the A's are very happy with his progress
3: yeah, you know, he, he's a really impressive kid. I mean, this is a guy who's one year out of college, he's in a big league clubhouse, and he looks like he belongs, and he looks like he knows what he's doing. He's, uh, you know, quiet, but he sits there and he does his routines. He did his pregame work, and there was a lot of talk about last year. You know, he got off to a really slow start in Vermont, but um, he had a real routine and, and getting ready before games, and that's usually one of the things you don't see from younger players. They don't really know how to get ready yet at that point in their careers yet. Um, his dad played in the big leagues, won a World Series with the Twins back in 87. So um, he just he just is a kind of a baseball rat um, switch hitter. A con, you know, contact may be an issue is he gets up. He may never hit for a high average, but he's got the chance to be a double digits home run, double digits steals. And then guy can play shortstop. And I think that's a pretty valuable guy to find, especially where they were drafting in the first round last year.
1: You know, when you look at Sean Murphy and you stand next to him, he looks like an NFL linebacker. He's 6'3", he's, what, 230 or something like that? I mean, he is a big dude. He's healthy. He's back playing again. What are your expectations for him in his first full season?
3: You know, he's just such a pro also. I mean, I think, it's again, his dad also played professional baseball, and I think you see that with these guys that – had fathers that were in the game, they came to Pro Ball really understanding what it takes to get there. So, you know, he's been a pro since he turned since he turned pro. And um, you know, defense obviously every single guy you talk to that he catches, even though they don't know each other that well yet, he doesn't know everything about their repertoire, they love throwing to him. Um, you know, he he receives well, he's very communicative with his pitchers. He works hard before the game with game planning and then that arm is is as good as any catcher that, that you're gonna see. So as long as he can stay healthy He's going to make a huge impact behind the plate, you know, and then at the plate, I remember he said during FanFest that the turnaround for him offensively was when he stopped thinking about it. You know, he's really started just focusing on his defense and letting the offense come naturally, and he's developed into a weapon on on offense as well.
1: A.J. Puck shut down, we learned, yesterday from Bob Melvin, five to six days, and just, you know, you see top prospects all over baseball. You see these guys that throw really, really hard, and you also see these guys that have a hard time staying healthy. Uh, do you have any fear about A.J. Puck and his inability to stay healthy?
3: Well, I think you have to have that fear about literally every pitcher at this point. I mean, I think it's such a such a weird thing to do to your body to pitch, and especially to pitch 98 miles per hour when you're 6'7", coming down the mound, and the amount of punishment that you put on all your joints You know, when you're doing that. I think everybody's an injury risk when they're at that level uh you know that said i mean it, it's it's never a good thing when you're talking about something barking especially at shoulder and you know a guy that came off tommy john surgery but the fact the mri was clean the fact that he spoke up about it when it was before it was something that was really severe is are, are probably good signs because i think one of the things that I think happened when he ended up with Tommy John surgery that spring a couple of years ago was that, you know, he was going to pitch through it. It was a little soreness or whatever. So, you know, I think a lot of these guys are learning, too. The quicker you catch something and shut yourself down for four or five days, it, it prevents it from becoming something bigger. So hopefully that's what that is. But, yeah, obviously it's never a great thing when you when you see somebody like that have to stop throwing at any point.
1: We've joked that Fran Reardon is going to have a uh, really good staff this year. and we, We've been joking with Fran that he's the uh, manager of the greatest offensive team last year with the juice balls in the juice ballpark there in Las Vegas. But if you're looking at the guys that are, are projected to be the starting staff in Las Vegas, which guy would you bet helps the A's the most in 2020?
3: Well, I I would have said Dalton Jeffries before he had his injury issue, and I think obviously that's um, something that you have to be really concerned with. I think if it turns into something that's not – delaying him too much he is a guy I think could really make an impact maybe out of the bullpen midway through the season because of his ability to to throw strikes and mix things up and his competitive nature I think is, is something that will really help him make that jump from AAA to the big leagues fairly smoothly but uh, you know James Trapelian looked really good at the end of last year he, he finally was healthy was able to carry his stuff all the way through to the end of the year um, you know, Grant Holmes has great potential. I've always really liked Parker Dunshee and, and Brian uh, Howard. They're two guys that just know how to pitch. And, uh, you know, the A's have done well with guys that just know how to pitch over the years and not necessarily your biggest stuff guys. So, um, you know, it's going to be a really interesting rotation. Uh, you got Tanner Anderson and, 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 veterans like that as well. But, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of depth there for, for Fran to work with. And, you know, hopefully they don't get too discouraged mm-hmm. if they get beat about the ears with, <laughs> with that ball in that ballpark.
1: You know, I, I joke with Scott Emerson all the time. Oh, yeah, he's got great spin rate. Oh, he's got tilt. He's got this. He's got that. You know what? In the end, all I care, do you get outs? Stop telling me about spin rates. Do you get outs? Can you get outs at the big league level?
3: Yeah, and, and I mean that ultimately. I mean, he's, you know, Emo's the first to say we need two things from guys. We We need pitchability. And then we need velocity. And if the pitchability is there, there's always a chance. If the velocity is the only thing that's there, there's not really much of a chance. So, um, you know, I think that that is something they still value. And I, I think you see that on the staff. I mean, there's, there's some guys that are not necessarily your huge stuff guys, but you look at like the yes, Mario Petit and, and people like that, you know, they get guys out and it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be 98 to do it.
1: Jesus Cezardo is a special talent. I think there's no question. What do you – we know he's going to get babied a little bit, but what are your expectations for him in 2020?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think obviously you have to be very careful in terms of how many innings you put on a kid who hasn't thrown that many, you know, consecutively the last few seasons. Uh, you know, that said, as long as he's healthy, I think they'll keep feeding him whatever he can handle because he's shown that from a maturity perspective – There's no stage that's going to, you know, kind of frighten him. I mean, yesterday he he joked and said he gets nervous throwing live BP, but you wouldn't know it. (laughs) You look at him on the mound and he looks like he's been there for 25 years and he's pitched in seven World Series. So, um, you know, I don't think there's a moment they're going to baby him away from, but I do think the the expectation shouldn't be that he's going to throw, you know, 160 innings, because I think just physically that would probably be difficult um, given the amount of innings he's thrown in the last couple of years. But they haven't told him anything about a restriction. He's operating under the mindset that he's going to pitch until they tell him to stop. So, um, you know, I think uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that.
1: Let me – can I float a little idea past you and see if you like it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so if we're going to baby these guys, essentially, and they're going to go – we're allow him to go five let's say we're allow him to go five innings well the problem I have with just saying you're going five innings is that now means you're going to have to rely on four or five pitchers maybe even six the rest of the way to get you a victory so why not if if we're now we're, we're now and Scott Emerson has talked about this he wants to train a staff hey when we give you the ball no matter what time no matter where it is you be ready to pitch why not have the bullpen pitch the first maybe three innings or maybe four innings and then have Jesus Lazardo come in and pitch the last five or six because he's arguably got the best stuff and allow him to end up closing out the game and winning the game for you because if he goes out there and just gives you five, he's not going to factor in that many games.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you will see is a little more mixing and matching. I mean, one of the things they've talked about a little bit in the past is sort of tandem starting. And, unfortunately, with the 13-pitcher cap, it isn't something they can just add a 14th pitcher and then be able to match guys up. But, um, you know, if, if you could go, say, four innings Lazardo, four innings puck every five days, you've got, you know, eight innings that are going to be pretty strong. Um, and then you go to Liam Hendricks, I think that works out pretty well for you as a formula. So um, I think even – Even though you can only carry 13 pitchers, there may be moments where they sort of shift to kind of a, um, I don't know, a sliding scale kind of rotation where you have, have like you did in September, where you know that somebody's going to come in and they're going to work three innings like Lizardo and Puck did towards the end of the year, Um, and where they can kind of do that to keep those guys on a schedule but not necessarily – throw, um, you know, huge innings on them early in the season, you may see that. And I think Chris Bassett actually, frankly, is going to be probably the most valuable pitcher on the team because he may be the guy that's the one that kind of bridges those starts if they are only going to go four or five because of, of inning limitations. And, you know, he, he was great. I mean, he was probably their second most consistent starter last year. So, um, you know, that he won't necessarily be in, in a five-man rotation is a pretty big weapon to have out of the bullpen.
1: Melissa, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work with The Athletic, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
1: Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. She does a phenomenal job covering the A's and especially the minor league system. Are you with me or against me? You want Lazardo for the first five or the last five?
2: Where do you want him? I like the idea of him going the the last five innings because – I think that having him – if you're a guy that's a big fan of wins like you are and you, everyone knows that I am not, I think that if you want to have him come in and close out the game because he does have uh, – I don't throw this term around a, a lot, but it looks like he has a elite stuff to quote some people to use elite in the wrong uh, term. I think, But I think he does, and I think that he's a guy that you can have the bullpen pitch you know, don't, not necessarily Liam, but maybe, you know, throw Trevino and J.B. Wendelkin out there for a couple innings and then bring in Lazardo for the last five or six and see what he can do. Because if you want to stay in the ballgame and win the ballgame, if you have the lead, look what we, he, look how well he pitched in the wildcard game in his first playoff appearance. So I'd like it. I don't know why you never flowed this by me before as a fan that, of a guy that doesn't like wins. And I think are, – are you kind of coming around on the idea of wins don't matter as long as you pitch well, or do you want Lazardo to be out there so he can get the win? I want to
1: win games. That's what I want to do. I want to go to the playoffs. I want to see this team go to the World Series, and I want to get a World Series ring. So what's the best way to do that? Pitching him five to start out and then – because that's that, – herein lies the problem, which why I, why I, I say you, you, your, your dislike for wins is wrong because I can prove to you there is proof. That when a pitcher goes seven or eight innings, his team normally wins. The guys that only go five innings, they're forcing the bullpen to factor in the wins and losses. If a pitcher, and we went over this last year, what what was the A's record? We did the research. The A's, their record when a pitcher went seven innings or more was like sixteen and three.
2: Yeah, it was something crazy.
1: I remember when we did all we
2: did the Rundown for all of that. Yeah. Then we looked at all the pitchers like DeGrom and Cole. And because remember, there was a while where Garrett Cole didn't pitch at all until the, in the eighth inning until like late, late, late in the season. But if
1: Cole or Verlander went at least seven innings, they were basically like undefeated. The Astros.
2: They and didn't lose. Those are two guys that won 20 games from
1: last year each. They, they didn't lose. That, that, so that's my point. You want to see a 20 game winner? I'm going to show you a guy that throws well over 20 innings because he's factoring in the decision. Where your argument, I understand your argument. I understand Brian Kinney's argument. But it's just, you guys are now cool with babying these pitchers. That's the thing. You guys are into bullpens. And by the way, even Brian Kinney, friend of the program, love him, MLB Network, he's even starting to come around a little bit on bullpen usage. Because we're seeing bullpen usage, it went up. And bullpens got worse. Fact or fiction? They got worse. The more bullpen... So, every, so, so there's things going on in our game that have been going up every single year. Home runs, strikeouts, walks, and relievers innings pitched. And their ERA. And their ERA. <laughs> so there is proof right now because last year, it was trending. I, I, I don't remember how it ended. But towards the end of the year, bullpens had higher ERAs than starters. I Did it in that way? I
2: think it was like the first time since, what, like the 70s that's happened? Or, or they were like almost that. identical. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find the exact step. It, it was for like most of the year. They were treading next to each other with the relievers having a higher ERA because those guys were being overworked and overtaxed. I.e., look at the Tampa Bay Rays, as we talked about a lot, and we're going to always talk about how they do this year. They were one of the teams that overused their bullpen, along with the Brewers and several other te- other teams. Yeah, you can say that you know the A's bullpen could have. People might believe was a problem because it had they you know they led Major League Baseball with the most blown saves, but that they also won 97 games. And was it Grady Fuson saying if they didn't, if we didn't blow half of those games, if they didn't blow half those games, they would have how many wins could they have? So you figure half of that, so they blew 31. Say they got 16 more wins, you're what 113 wins. I mean that's this is a big hypothetical, but still, that bullpen just does a little bit better with blown saves, and I mean they the Astros aren't. I mean they're they're ten games ahead of the Astros almost.
1: Well, I can look at a couple teams. What was the Achilles' heel for the Yankees in the postseason?
2: I actually think it was their starting rotation.
1: Their bullpen didn't throw the ball. They relied on their bullpen.
2: They all all year long they relied on Chad Green to be the opener, and and he and then they they overtax guys like. Um, Dodgers Adam Adovino
1: Dodgers what was their Achilles heel
2: oh their bullpen
1: we're talking great teams with a lot of money Dodgers didn't want a lot of innings out of their starting pitchers They relied heavily on their relievers and when it came time to win games in the postseason they were gassed
2: yeah um, so look at Joe Kelly
1: so you don't you have to admit now that you need to change a little bit how you feel about starting pitchers innings wins when bullpens are not working.
2: Oh, I I never had a problem with the the innings that pitchers went. It was more of them you know, getting – the idea of them going six or seven and everyone going, well, they didn't get the win because the bullpen bullet, bullet for them. I, I hate that. I hate when that happens because how many – I always bring up Jacob DeGrom, and he's done it two years and wherever he's won. Uh, don't, wait, my, my whole point, don't let the bullpen factor in the game. It's your game. But if you're a guy that strikes out ten, get, 10 guys a game – and your, uh, your pitch count gets high, that's kind of hard to do. But, I mean, you, you can't control every game where your guys are going to – your bullpen's not going to blow for you. I'm not saying DeGrom had that opportunity where it happened. They, they threw up a list of guys that want 15 ge- – because DeGrom's career high wins is 15. They threw up a list of, like, guys that want 15 games in their career along with DeGrom, and it was, like, the most outrageous list ever, like, Wei and Chen. And, like, all these guys, like, they had, like, one good year, and there's DeGrom who never wins any games because, well, either his bullpen blows a form him when he pitches deep in the games – or he just doesn't, he doesn't get the chance to pitch deep because he's so many he pitches thrown.
1: But evaluating this game and starting pitching can't always be based on Jacob DeGrom. So in the Silent of two years in a row. There's a lot of guys out there who are pitching. It all just can't be Jacob DeGrom because the other numbers, there's outliers in life. Oh, yeah, of course. I can prove to you, if we went through every starting pitching pitcher in Major League Baseball that went seven innings or more last year, that the record would be well over five hundred. Yeah, so did. DeGrom's the outlier. And even DeGrom last year, when DeGrom went seven or eight innings, he won.
2: Oh, yeah, of course, because he's pitching deep, in that, and Edwin Diaz didn't have to roll up. Well, then maybe, <laughs> the,
1: maybe the strategy is not every pitch has to be thrown as hard as you possibly can so you can last later into games. Maybe you become a little more of a pitcher than a thrower. Not saying that he's not. He just has such nasty stuff. But you don't have to throw 98, and you don't have to be max out every pitch. If you, if, you, if you pitched more, maybe you last longer in games, and your record's better. That's the whole point. And so, Lazardo, if you're telling me I'd rather have bullpen guys at the start of the game, and I know a lot of you hate that. I get it. But if I'm only getting five out of them, which five do I want? Do I want the first five or I want the last five? Because I think he can go through the last five and take it to the house, and you win the game, and then I get to relax, I, I get to rest a guy like Liam Hendricks.
2: It also feels like this could be a, a good case of, of the opener as well, because if he goes, if you have a guy pitch two innings and you have him go five or even six, and then you're, there's the ninth inning and here comes Liam, because I feel like I'd rather have him pitch the the last half of the game than the, the, the starting five. 'Cause I think you can win games with using using an opener. The so Tampa Bay prove that.
1: You do three relievers to get you the first three. Or
2: you can use this one guy or two guys to get the three. One or two
1: guys to get you through the first three. Pitch Lazardo all the way through the eighth and give the ball to Liam in the ninth.
2: I would I would be okay with that.
1: I just I, I, I want him factoring in. This is what worries me is he goes five, and then now you're going to have to use a bunch of
2: relievers to get you to the house. And now you need every reliever to be successful. We also need him to be successful too, pitching those last five innings. Because if he's coming in with a lead and he blows the lead, then that's you know there's that's that's the devil's advocate way of looking at it. But I, I mean, I think necessarily more than not, he will you know he'll pitch those last five innings if he's going to be as as elite as everyone thinks he will be. I don't think he'd blow a lot of games deep in the game, especially if they have the lead, but. I like that idea. I like seeing him go five innings deeper in the game going, let's say innings four through eight or four through nine or three through eight. And then having Liam come in to close the ninth or however you want to do it. But I still like the idea of using the opener regardless. I think that, yeah, just because the, the, when the, when the A's used Liam in the Walker game in New York and it didn't work. I don't think that's how you could, I feel like that's an outlier more than anything, but the rays have shown that the opener works, the brewers, other teams have used it and it works. I mean, the Astros were using the opener for a while. No, oh, the Yankees. Everybody's yeah. using it. The only team that didn't. The only team that didn't win using it a lot was one of the Angels because they didn't have any pitchers. That was
1: my classic thing because you know, let's face it, our two broadcasters are old school. Ken and Vince are old school, and I remember bringing up the opener to Vince, and he goes, "Well, Tampa Bay, you know, they're a team that's going to do it because they have to do it, but you know." The Houston Astros, he used the Astros. They're never going to use the opener. And so the first time the A's, I mean the Astros used the opener, I went, hey, Vince, remember when you said that? Uh, the Dodgers are a big-money team. They're using the opener.
2: Yankees are a big-money team. They're using the opener. The Yankees used it. Chad Green was very good as the opener. They had, remember how there was the um, suggestion that they should use the opener for James Paxton every start because he was so bad in the first inning?
1: The big maple.
2: Oh, by the way, he, uh, he might be coming back quicker than we think might be good news for the Yankees, bad news for the Rays, who uh, everyone thinks is going to run away at the AL East now. Yeah, everybody's loving
1: them some Rays. Well, let's just see. Let's see how the Rays deal with the new rules. Because last year, the Rays used the 10-day IL. Some people still like to call it the DL. But the IL, they used it as a weapon, bringing up guys – constantly bringing up guys, sending down guys, bringing up guys, sending down guys, putting guys on the DL, you know, if they were – were they even hurt? You know, they'd run a guy out there X amount of days, put him on the IL, he's only there for 10 days, bring somebody up. I mean, they – and now it's changed because they're back to a 15-day IL. They won't be able to do that as much, and the Rays and the Brewers – Brought up a bazillion guys in September to get them to the house, which they won't be able to do. But the Rays' starting pitching should be better. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a former general manager and now a scout in the NHL. Our buddy Ned Colletti will join us next, right here on A's Cast Live.
0: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Marshall,
1: All right, Ned Coletti's going to join us in moments. The be interesting to ask Ned what he thinks if Mookie Betts has a good year. What is he worth? Because if he has a good year, the Dodgers, who we're going to see tomorrow here at ho Cam, the Dodgers are going to want to re-sign him. And they got to re-sign Bellinger. And if you, if, you sign, if you sign bets, Bellinger's going to want that, or maybe even more. So Ned is a former GM of the Dodgers, knows all about what's going on there with Dodger Blue, and we do have him. Ned, welcome back to A's Cast with Chris Towns, and how are you?
4: Hey, doing good, Chris.
1: So it's this time of the year, you know, I I know you're doing the stuff with the Sharks, but uh, it's this time of year, spring training, such a special time in baseball.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. It's, uh, you know, it's a long spring training. There's 35, 40 games, but uh, you wait all winter to get back, and uh, no matter what type of year you had, you're always looking forward to it.
1: You know, I, I think about Christian Yelich, who it looks like uh, they're going to add a couple, they're going to add about seven years to his existing deal. So it'll be about nine years for $215 million. And it's just, it's one of those deals where he likes Milwaukee. He wants to stay in Milwaukee. They're a small market team that's going to keep their superstar. Just how good is this deal for the game of baseball?
4: Well, I think it's always good when a player, especially a, a great player like uh, Yelich is, uh, can stay with one team. I think it's... Um, it's a little bit rare. You don't have many Tony Gwyns or Cal Ripken Juniors out there anymore that that have a chance to do that. Uh, but I do think it's good for the game. I, you know, if you look back, and you know, people never like to look back that deep. But if you look back a long time, you know, players before before free agency, which obviously changed the game, and uh, it was something that was probably long overdue. Uh, players always stay with the same team. But uh, today, it's uh, it's a different dynamic. So I do think any time you have a chance to, to hang on to somebody for the duration of their career, draft them, sign them, develop them, and then let them become uh, major league players. And then in his case, uh, obviously one of the best in the game. I think it's good for Milwaukee.
1: Well, I think about the Mike Trout deal and $435 million, And now Mookie Betts traded over to the Dodgers. Uh, and obviously the Dodgers don't want to consider him a rental if Mookie Betts has a great year, what do you think his value will be on the open market?
4: Well, wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I don't I don't really know what it would be. I mean, you, you, people talk about him being one of the top four or five players in the game. Some people go uh, as far as to say he's uh, second to Trout. Uh, obviously, that's all conjecture. That's all opinion. I think a lot of it will depend on on market and and who's interested. Uh, you do have some teams that uh, that usually go over the, the luxury tax year after year. Boston, of course, did for a long time, drop back down. Um, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Had, had Boston signed Mookie Betts, uh, which is kind of what probably led to this deal, that deal would have probably cost them between 75 and $80 million a year when you add the luxury tax to it. So uh, probably depends on teams that have been below the tax a little bit. Dodgers have been below it for a few years now. Uh, maybe going over it this year for the first time in a while, so I do think that that is also part of the uh, the dynamic that will lead to this. Uh, I don't think uh, many teams uh, can really go after a, a player of that caliber at that at that pay level. So I do think that the market is limited, but it's big market teams and it's teams that that uh, have a chance to compete and have a chance to win year in year out
1: yeah la is all about stars and that's whether it's the lakers or the dodgers it's what it's all about and then i think how much will if let's say they do get a deal done with mookie Betts? how do you think that affects the negotiations with your reigning mvp cody bellinger
4: well (laughs) that's a good question it's uh you know he's obviously a very very talented player i've known cody since he was 17 18 years old and uh been great to see him continue to get better and better in the strive for greatness and uh, uh, really get, got there last year in so many ways. Five-tool player, really a six-tool because of how he thinks the game. I think that every year it's interesting to see what the top talents uh, do receive when they do become free agents. Cody, represented by, by Scott Boris, who uh, had himself a tremendous year this past season, signing uh, Rendon and, and Garrett Cole. And Keuchel and on and on. I mean he had a tremendous year as far as uh, representation goes. so uh, anytime you're you're dealing with Scott, you know you're going to be uh, expected to to reach a a level that in some cases has never been reached before or uh, to have something to it that is is special. you know Strasbourg was another one this past year that he had that uh, opted out of his deal and then and then signed for a much longer term and And much higher dollars going back to the team he was at. So it'll be interesting to see. And um, you know, there's all different negotiations are so so interesting all the time. I think that there's a um, there's a a chance, and I'll, I'll take the Dodgers out of it though. But whenever you do sign one one star player, one great star player, that does take a little bit in some cases a little bit of pressure off a team as well because they have. They do have a talented talented player, and i and I think that the the worst situation is when you're a big market club and you you don't lose one but you lose two or you lose three all at one time that's that's tough to do, but as you do sign players, uh, I think that it helps fortify your team and I think that you, you love to keep your group together, like the, the Brewers just did with Yellich, but I do think you also have to be prudent and wise with how you spend it and for how long you spend it. Most of the time in my career it wasn't necessarily the amount of money per year that, uh, that uh, stopped me. It was really the term. It always seems to be a year or two longer than a team is comfortable with, so uh, that's another factor. There's, all, there's so many different factors to it. It's not, just, it's not as, uh, as cut and dry as it may seem.
1: Yeah, star players can be so important for organizations and what your organization stands for. And, of course, when you were in San Francisco with Brian Sabian, you had the star of stars and Barry Bonds. Just talk about what that star player means to the fan base and means to the organization.
4: Well, Barry was uh, was obviously a tremendous player in San Francisco. Uh, Probably people always ask me, I've been at it almost 40 years, you know, who was – the best I've seen, and position player-wise, a player I was around a lot. Uh, nobody was as talented as Barry. Uh, Barry, talk about the five tools of Cody Bellinger I mentioned, and the sixth tool of intellect. You know, Barry had it all too, uh, at even uh, a higher level. And uh, somebody that uh, I think I did two deals with uh, Barry and his representatives while while I was there. I think a two-year deal and then uh, had had the pleasure to do the deal. After he hit 73 home runs, he was a free agent <laughs> after that season. So timing worked out pretty good for, for B at that point in time. But as uh, you look back at the history of that franchise in San Francisco, the the uh, almost uh, defection to Tampa and, and all that, and then the signing of Peter McG- uh, Peter McGowan and Larry Barron ownership did with, with Barry, uh, that was a year before I came to San Francisco, but you could see that it started to turn. And I think signing him was a a major a major factor in uh, in the new ballpark. It was a ma- it's not even a new ballpark anymore, but in that ballpark being built in the year 2000, I think his his presence, his ability, and the commitment that ownership had shown by signing somebody who had kind of grown up near the organization with his dad, uh, the great Bobby Bonds, and then. Uh, had a chance to bring him from Pittsburgh, I think that made a major impact on the city, on the fan base, and on the commitment that ownership made and that the fans made in return. I think it's a great example of of how it can can turn that way. And then that he stayed uh, the rest of his career there, also indicative of of keeping your your star player, even though he wasn't drafted by San Francisco uh, out of college. uh, He was still somebody that had had kind of grown up there and kind of had a little bit of a favorite son approach to it. So uh, it's a good point you make. He was uh, very instrumental, I think, in a lot of the success of the organization, not just the home runs, the batting average and the stolen bases and the great defensive play in left field, but also in, I think, keeping the franchise there and making it one one of the crown jewels of baseball.
1: Ned, I don't think a lot of people really understand what a brilliant mind Barry Bonds has with baseball. He's brilliant.
4: He um to me, he was as, as close to genius as a hitter as I've seen. Um, i I talk about it all the time when asked uh, you know, who was the best as i said and and he he saw a game differently. I think the greatest athletes among us see the game in slow motion, and uh, we watch a game. it's almost like watching a movie. They see it frame by frame, and I, I would see him do things I, I've never seen a player do uh, before or. Or after uh, people I watched on a daily basis, where you can really see the intellect at work. Genius, genius at what he did. Understood the game. Understood the strike zone. Would rarely, rarely get after a pitch out of the strike zone. Would rarely argue a call. So he, he always, he was always in a good spot, and just a tremendous, tremendous gifted athlete, but also really, really smart and somebody who understood hitting and understood the game and the nuances of the game, uh, the best I've seen, the best player I've seen on a daily basis in in 40 years.
1: Hey, Ned, before we let you go, how's the new gig with the Sharks going?
4: It's been great. Um, It's been a a great experience. I I love the organization and the people I work with. Uh, Obviously, we've uh, had a bit of a a tough year with injuries and a, a little bit of a slow start. Uh, but been picking it up lately. It beat some really good teams the last four weeks. I think uh, brighter days are ahead. But it, it's been a great, a great opportunity for me. I've spent probably, well, as many years as I've watched baseball, I've watched hockey with as much interest in and in digging deep into it. In the last 20, 25 years, I have spent a lot of time with coaches and and GMS and and scouts, kind of digging deeper to to really f- find it out. And I think. Chris, when you think about an athlete, you think about hands, how the hands work, how the feet work, how the mind works. I think that transcends any sport. And so I, I think the adjustment for me has been uh, uh, refreshing in a lot of ways, but also uh, something that I, I feel confident in, in doing because I've, I've been watching athletes for so many years with a not just a glance, but certainly with a, with a deep uh, understanding of it and, and an understanding that I always wanted to get better at it and to try and figure out how it all worked and and how players think the psychology of it all. So it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, I like the way we played the last few games, especially the last couple here. Big game against T.O. last night and Pittsburgh over the weekend before that. So things are getting better. bright days are ahead and it's a it's a great organization i'm honored that they gave me an opportunity
1: yeah doug wilson down there's a lot of good people with the san jose sharks it's really it's really a lot of fine people you know most people don't get inside the organization but having been around the sharks for a long time they got a lot of quality people in that front office and working for the team
4: you know i've had other opportunities uh in 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 the nhl um but it meant a lot to me to be able to work for people who I, I really know and respect and uh, admire, and that we have a uh, have always had a, a real solid, uh, not just a friendship, but relationship where we could challenge thought process. I think that's how you get, get good. I think that was probably a strength that Brian and I had in San Francisco for about 11 years, where we would challenge the thought process to... To see how we can make everybody as good as they can be, I think it's incumbent upon leadership uh, to do that. And uh, when I started talking to, to Doug Senior and Doug Junior and Joe Will, um, you know, I, I've known them for a long, long time. I've known Doug Junior probably 15 years, and Doug Senior probably 25 years, and, and and Joe probably close to that from my San Francisco days, because Joe was in San San, Diego, uh, San Jose. Uh, well before, as long as well as uh, Doug Sr. So uh, knowing them and knowing how they approach the game and, and how uh, respectful they are and how honorable and just good people they are, plus great hockey people, uh, when they came and we talked about it a little more than a year ago now, I thought, you know what, this is a not only a great opportunity in a sport that I love, but with people that I, I have so much respect and admiration for, and I, and I know who they are. And they're genuine and they're real. And to me, at this stage of my career and my life, um, that's what I seek.
1: Ned, you're the best. We always appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the NHL season, and we'll talk to you, la- talk to you later on All down right. the line.
4: All right, Chris. Thanks for the time today. All the best. Thanks,
1: Ned. Ned Colletti, great guy. Ned Collette, text him and tell him I said thank you. He's, I mean, I've been dealing with Ned since back when he was with the Giants, and superhuman being. I mean, he's a really, really, really good man. And I'm glad to see he's having a good time with the Sharks. You know, uh, they built some really good ball clubs. He built some good – I mean, look what he did for the Dodgers. He helped set them up to where they are today. Uh, the Giants had a lot of success. You know, and, and when you've been a general manager, an assistant general manager for that long, and you know the ins and outs of the game and the financial part of the game, which sometimes we, the fans, don't want to get into that much. We just want to watch these players play and have a good time. But when you can ask them these questions, you know, because they're, they're, the Dodger thing's interesting. And the Dodgers, they've got two out of the five best players I mean, t- that's being safe. If you want to be daring, you could say they have two of the top three. No one's take- Whoa,
2: whoa, that's a hot take.
1: <laughs> no one's taking down the big boy in Anaheim,
2: all right? No one's touching that guy. Wait, hold on. You're telling me that you think one of them is better than Yelich? I'm just saying. I think Yelich is better than Bellinger. But I don't think Yelich is better than Betts. Bellinger's younger. True, but I, I think – Bellinger,
1: I think- if you compare their careers to date – Yellis wasn't that great in Miami. No, he was not.
2: But he got to Milwaukee. and. But that's okay. I, I hear what you're saying. But Bellinger. Bellinger wasn't great two years ago after his rookie year. Remember, he slumped bad. Bad. And then he was really good. La- he was in 400 at one point last year. The, the talk of, will he take down Ted Williams' record? And then he finished, I think, at 305, which is still a very respectable batting average with 47 home runs, I want to say it was. And he was only a few behind the Polar Bear and Suarez from the Reds. Uh, I, I like Bellinger. He's a great outfielder. He has a great arm. We saw what he did with his defensive run saves last year. Uh, everyone knows I'm a big Mookie Betts fan. I think Mookie is a spectacular player on top of being a spectacular bowler. Um, you just you, you just love that ball don't you? Yeah, well, and, you know, I read again today how Bellinger did, did not miss the game the other day because of top golf. I'm still going to believe that it was because of top golf and you you can't change my mind any other way.
1: Okay. Bellinger is 23 years old. 23 years old. I'm Twenty. I think he just turned 24. He's got 111 home runs. He's got 288 RBIs. He's got a career OPS of 928 in his three years. There's no way you can tell me Yelich is a better player than him. When it's all said and done, his numbers will dwarf Yelich's. Yell- I think Yelich is at 28. He's not even he's not even 25 yet.
2: Yelich is, here's Yelich's two years in Milwaukee. No, no. Give me his years in Miami. All right. So his rookie year, he hits 288 and 240 bats with only four home runs. Okay.
1: Four home runs. So his first year, how old was he? 21. Okay. He was 21. His first year, he hit four home runs. But- Bellinger's first year. He's 21 and hit 39. How many games he in? Uh
2: 132. Yeah, I was playing 62. Okay, go to the next year. Uh, his next year, he won a gold glove, hit in 144 games, hit 284, hit nine homers, drove in 54.
1: Okay, so the next year, so this is comparing him by age. So this is his 22 season. Bellinger hit 25 jacks, 76 RBIs. By far better. Let's go to their third year in
2: the big leagues. 300 for Yelich in 126 games. He hit seven homers and drove in 44 runs.
1: Oh, really? Bellinger in his third year hit 47 home runs, 115 RBIs, and won the MVP. Bellinger has been Rookie of the Year. In three years, he's been Rookie of the Year and an MVP. And you're comparing – you're saying Yelich is better because he goes to a bandbox for two years? The last
2: two years, Christian Yelich has led the National League in batting average – you He's said oh, no. Not. No, I'm, I'm playing that card wow. for you. Wow. playing that card for you. Wow. He had 36 homers in 2018. He had 44 last year, and he only played 130 games. I, we know about the baseball. He missed 32 games, but he had thir- He had 44. He would have beat. He would have more home runs last year than Bellinger.
1: Bellinger's 23 years old and has already been an MVP.
2: Well, yeah, Yelich is 26 about the MVP, so it's only three years.
1: So trending right now, because well, in a few years. Yelich will be in his 30s. Oh, no, the 30s. <laughs> I guarantee, I mean, I'll guarantee you when it's all said and done, Bellinger will have more home runs, more RBIs, more runs scored than Yelich in his career. And I will bet you he wins more MVPs.
2: Oh, I don't know. The MVP, I mean, the MVP is going to be, I mean, he could win. I it, know he, you
1: love Yelich. He could win. It, but the fact that you're telling me that a guy that could not hit for any
2: power that's a hard ballpark. Besides, hey, only Stan oh, hit home wow. runs. wow! Wow! <laughs> how many home runs did Stan hit that one year? Fifty nine. You, you
1: are so all over the board when you try and defend your beliefs. You, oh, no. you, you're all over the board. He just
2: developed late.
1: I mean, well, he, this guy didn't develop late, and this guy's going to do it for his entire career. How many how, how many home runs did Christian Yelich have after three years?
2: After three years, he would have had uh, wow twenty. Uh, Bellinger's got one hundred and eleven. Yeah, well. So if he keeps doing this, there's a lot of protection out line I have to let him hit get some pitches.
1: <laughs> I'm just, you, you, you know, what I'm using for my argument, math.
2: I'm just basing out the last couple of years. I think Yelich. Is, I mean, I know he's older, but he's They're neck and neck. I mean, I just like the way Yelich plays. And if this kid, and we saw valuable to the he's Brewers. He's only
1: 23. What do you think his numbers are going to be like when he enters his prime? He's going to be
2: good. I don't think we be better. I mean, do you think if you combine him and Bellinger, they'll Who, be ha- who's got a better throwing arm? It's a good question. I remember really actually really watch Yelich throw the ball. Who's so more, I'd, go I'd go with Bellinger.
1: Who's more versatile defensively?
2: Bellinger he, played, he can play first base. Yelich can play the out, all three outfield spots though. How many go? Did Bellinger win a go glove this year? He did. So they used to have a gold glove to their name too. How many does How many does he have? He has one. He won one his second year. Oh, Okay. Took Bellinger three years to win a gold glove. Yeah.
1: So in three years, once again, Bellinger's rookie of the year, MVP, All Star, Gold Glove winner.
2: Yelich is in the three years. We won this yesterday. Yelts is the best hitter in baseball since the uh, All Star break in twenty eighteen. That's including Michael Trout, the master of golf balls down there in Orange County, Disneyland, wherever they play.
1: Recently on Sirius XM MLB channel, I heard a great story about Trout. Uh, our buddy Mike Farron. From Sirius XM. If we get to talk to him on Sunday, that'll be great. He also works for the Diamondbacks. So, if you have Sirius Sirius or XM, I guess I have XM in my new car. And it's uh, Channel 89. NFL is 88. Baseball, 89. I kind of stay right in that lane. I'm not going
2: to... Hot country or well, today's hits yeah. or... It's too bad you're not at home, at home right Sinatra now. Frank Sinatra channel. Because oh, I'm sure uh, all you'd hear in the Bay Area is Tom Brady to the Niners. So good. Tom you Brady's have to going here. to the Niners? I'd say that's the rumor. Apparently Belichick and him did have a good conversation. It's all It's all coming. It's Garoppolo or Carr. Who's the quarterback next year in New England?
1: How about trading? <laughs> Why don't you just don't, trade? Don't sell,
2: you're going to sell my idea again, aren't you? <laughs>
1: Well, they're gonna need a quarterback, so why don't you
2: say flip Garoppolo back to uh, New England for draft picks. Uh that'd be that'd be so great to get if uh Belichick got him back. I'd like the idea of Brady signing like Brady signed with the Raiders and then they take Derek Carr and win the Super Bowl in, in New England.
1: <laughs> Derek Carr goes, Oh my god, that would be so oh man. That would be so raiderish. Oh oh
2: man. Oh man, a big Super Bowl man. Tom
1: Brady to the Niners. Wow.
2: All right, so Mike Trout, Mike Mike Farren, are you talking about? The, is Wait, the, you,
1: you've blown my mind now yeah. with,
2: with Well, I I was curious because I wonder I wonder if you're going to tell the Diamondbacks how they didn't draft Mike Trout's story. What would you do? I mean, let's face it.
1: Tom Brady has made enough money. You know, when you're put when when you're making twenty four mil a year for years, and your wife is the ultimate supermodel. She's worth it's something like half a billion dollars. She's, I mean, she's made north of 400 million, I believe, or she's worth that. She's worth way more than he is. So if I was him, why would I want to go to a team and say, "I want to make the most money?" We have seen what happens when that, like Aaron Rodgers, they can't surround you with great players.
2: 400 million for Giselle. Yeah. The Brady's don't need money. They're around like six hundred million combined. I I play for nothing and put a bunch of guys around me
1: and I want to win a Super Bowl and I want to do it against the Patriots. Niners got a great defense. You put Tom Brady in there, how about Brady versus Belichick in the Super
2: Bowl? Brady versus Garoppolo. In the Super Bowl. And it would and it would be the tenth Super Bowl for Tom Brady. That's incredible. <laughs> There are teams that haven't been the one. The Lions have been playing football for like 180 years. They have never been to a Super Bowl. Brady's going to be. Brady could possibly head to ten. Can Can I drop a little secret on you? I, well, I guess we're not going to get to Mike Trout story because the face is coming up, and I'll get to the Trout story. The way we handle baseball
1: players, the way the way teams handle baseball players. Versus how the NFL handles their players. Like. The way Tom Brady interacts with everybody. And the way baseball players are so different. I just I I, I want to look at some guys and go, you know what? That's not how Tom Brady acts. And by the way, he's been to nine Super Bowls. You've barely been in the big leagues. It's amazing how baseball players get treated. It, it really is. It's a whole different world. (laughs) It's just a whole different world. And even guys that are not even that great. I mean, you're great if you make it to the big leagues, but you know what I'm saying. They're not the best big leaguers. It's not like they're Mike Trout. But that's the thing about Mike Trout. So Cole Calhoun was asked about playing with Mike Trout by Mike Farron. And he goes, the craziest thing is Trout's the greatest player but acts like a regular guy. He's just a regular guy. He's just this small-town kid from New Jersey who is constantly cracking jokes. Talking the weather. I mean, he's just, he's just a regular guy.
2: Hitting golf balls to the moon.
1: To where, like, Cal Ripken Jr. would stay at a completely different hotel than the team because he said he didn't want to be a distraction. Never heard
2: that before. He'll learn something new every day with you. Yeah, Cal Ripken Jr. didn't stay with the Orioles in the same hotel. I never knew that. I'm glad to know that now.
1: Barry Bonds had six lockers and a lounge chair and his own television. I heard enough about Barry Bonds today. Okay. Mike Trout, according to Cole Calhoun, says, he, you know, he laughed at it going, he's the best player on the planet, but he's just one of the guys. I was going to say, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Uh,
2: yeah, maybe outside of baseball, he's just a guy, but in baseball, he is the guy.
1: And then you got Albert Pools, and everybody loves Albert Pools. I mean, he's going to the hall. Does he get every vote for the Hall of Fame now? Now that we're we're, we're doing that,
2: uh, I I've said that from is there uh, is there somebody that's not going to vote for Albert Pools? Probably yes. There will be a guy. There will be someone that won't vote for him, and then you know people like me will be outraged that this that he won't get a vote because I, for what he's done. From the longevity, it's just in St. Louis alone, he was a Hall of Famer. I, in my opinion, he was a Hall of Famer from year one in 2001 with him and Ethereum, they broke into the league together. All the oh, pull hosts was younger. Through 2000, what, 2012, 11 or 12, whenever he his last year in St. Louis, he was a Hall of Famer. The MVPs, everything he had through a Three MVPs. And if it wasn't for Bonds, he would have more MVPs. Yeah, th- he had three MVPs, two World Series titles, he had all the home runs. He's what, 600 and. <laughs> he's like six – I think he's clo- – he might close in on 700. He's got over 2,000 RBIs. Yeah, he's one of like only a few guys that have over 2,000.
1: Well, it's, it's Aaron, uh, A-Rod, and him, right?
2: Yeah, he, right now Pujols has 656 home runs, 2,075 RBIs, a 300 batting average, three MVPs, 10-time All-Star. Uh, uh, and someone's not going to vote for him. Yeah, That's- there will be.
1: It's absolutely ridiculous. A career
2: OPS plus of 147 and a career war of 100.3. All right, coming up next, the face of the franchise. It's it's 3230. Might as well just call him.
0: Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. Single game tickets on sale now.
1: Fill the ballpark. A lot of great teams, a lot of great players coming into Oakland this year. Looking forward to seeing these Braves. They got a lot of talent, a lot of young
2: talent. Wash will be back, too. Our buddy Wash. Friend of the program. We're going to get to see the Polar Bear. By the way, he was mic'd up today for ESPN. Polar Bear, was he good? I didn't get a chance to see it, but I heard he was mic'd up. Apparently, him and Buster only went fishing uh, over the weekend. and The big thing, Buster was wearing khakis when he went fishing. So... (laughs) I like, I, Buster's I, podcast was, was pretty interesting. I heard the first, like, 15 minutes of it, him talking about uh, Pete Alonso because Tim Kirkson was at the Mets camp where they're, uh, Mikey went up for the all-access.
1: The A's are going for the AL West title and more. Be a part of it. Athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. You got to play his open.
5: Wednesday <laughs> is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Happy Wednesday, Foss. (laughs) Thank you, Tony. Who do you have to tell to play that open? Who who are you talking to that that play it?
1: Oh, that's the commander. We're the only two people left here at Ho-Ho Camp Park.
5: Well, I, I figured you're still in the Great Valley. It's a beautiful day. You may not want to leave. You might not want to leave. Are you going to be there tomorrow?
1: Of course, we're going to be here. I'm, I'm going to be here uh, all the way through
5: Sunday. I just want to make sure it's Cody going to be there tomorrow. No, Cody flies back tonight. Yeah, see, I missed him. I was going to try to see him, but I've been uh, I've been catching up on work, so I'm missing. Sorry, Cody. I'll see you back at the Coliseum. But anyway, how you doing, Tony?
1: Uh, we're doing great, and, it, and it's it's always weird when you're at a ballpark and no one's here and there's no game going on. But this is where we had to broadcast from, and uh, right. we've just been, you know, we 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 interviewed uh, the play by one of the play by play guys for the Dodgers. So and the A's are taking on the Dodgers tomorrow, and we were just really right. reviewing the team. Wow, Foss, they're stacked. I mean, the Dodgers. I mean, their lineup with now Mookie Betts is unbelievable.
5: Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting uh, and reading a little bit about David Price's comment about how much the media attention or lack of uh, in L.A. versus Boston is really tremendous. And and Mookie Betts said after their press conference at Dodger Stadium where he and David Price, they walked off and said, this is it? That's it? So, you know, I think from that standpoint, uh, they're probably going to enjoy it. But it is a very good lineup. But I have to wonder, I know the great Arnie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, kind of nixed the deal with Jock Peterson going, the Angels and now he's back so they've got a little bit of a crowded outfield but you know what did you think uh, what a few days ago when Trevor Bauer pitched against the Dodgers and he told him told them when he was pitching every pitch that he was throwing he gave that sign right here comes a fastball here comes a changeup what do you think about that
1: I thought it was absolutely fabulous, and was it? it? I, I I wonder, and these are all just rumors, but there's rumors, Ray, that there were other teams that possibly were doing this, and the rumors are one of them could have been the Dodgers. Maybe Trevor Bauer knows that. That's why he did it to him.
5: Well, that's a possibility, but I'd rather go with the other side, pretty much saying, because Trevor Bauer has been very outspoken about what the Astros did, when he was pitching with Cleveland, he kind of said something during a game in which he was pitching against them at uh, Minute Maid Park, and then, of course, in the National League, he's not going to play against them this year. But I think that might have been – but, you know, Tony, I'll be honest with you, watching him do that, I've always said, and you've heard me say it before, when you know what's coming, it's not the fact that you're going to hit it. It's the fact that you're going to lay off a pitcher's pitch and whenever uh, it came out that uh, Clayton Kershaw in game five threw what, 50, was it 41 or 51 sliders and curveballs and not one swing and a miss of those pitches, you don't see that with that type of a curve and slider that Clayton Kershaw has, and especially with a changeup. If you know a changeup is coming, you're not going to be out on the front foot, but if you're looking fastball, which most hitters do, that body's going to move forward. Here comes a changeup. You're going to be out on the front foot. You hope to check your swing. But in watching Trevor Bauer, and the one hitter they showed, a left-hand hitter, I don't know who it was, he ended up flying out the center field. But I thought it was more of, okay, I know what's coming. I'm going to look for my pitch, but it doesn't mean I'm going to hit it. I still think it's what you don't swing at is what helps you the most. And if you're a hitter, and, and I talked to someone last night that said, man, these guys are turning around a 98 mile fastball. I said, well, if they knew what was coming, they had a pretty good idea. They could get the bat hit out in front and be able to turn on a 98 fastball. Otherwise, if you're staying back just a hair, you're not going to be able to catch up to a ball like that. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with what you said. There's more teams than the Astros. Have they, uh, still no punishment or nothing said about the uh, Red Sox. If I haven't seen anything. Has anything come out yet?
1: No, nothing's come out about the Red Sox, but breaking news in Major League Baseball,
2: uh, it is official. Go ahead, Cody, announce it. Well, actually, it's just saying, hey, Foss, by the way, how are you? Good, Cody. How you doing? I'm sorry I missed you, buddy. Uh, it's okay. I'll see you back in Oakland. So we only got a couple more weeks. Okay. But uh, apparently, Chris Sale not expected to have Tommy John surgery at this point. So, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see because he they waiting not get to, they were doing like three different reviews on his uh, medicals to see what's going to happen. That's a tough blow for them yeah. if you can't pitch because uh, they already lost Mookie and their pitching staff already isn't that great. And David Price. And Price, yeah. yeah. And and yeah, no, you're no that
5: that's a great call because. Uh, you know, and, and I, I talked to a friend of mine in Boston. I said, "Hey, how much did your ticket prices go down?" He said, "No, no, no. They never go down. They always go up." And even with trading Mookie Betts and David Price, and now with Sale, you know, they just I think this year is the first year of his long-term contract for uh, for uh, Chris Sale. The extension I think kicks in this year. Um, and so I, you know, it, it's a tough blow. Uh, but you know, when they start talking like that, just like Severino and, and Tony, I was going to bring this up as well about spring training, we always talk about health. Look at the Yankees. Look at what has happened to the Yankees just in spring training. Few few other hitters, they'll come back with Severino and they had, uh, who was the kid that was suspended that pitched well last year. Uh, he suspended for about half of the season, something like that. So even though you, you look at a roster, you look at, at, at a potential lineup, those guys have to stay healthy. And what it looks like right now is that spring training is that time, you know, AJ Puck was shut down, um, you know, for a little bit of a rest because of a shoulder issue. Let's hope that's all it is, and the rest will take care of it. But, you know, you're seeing around baseball that players come to spring training, they say, well, how come it, it's spring training? A lot of that, Tony and Cody, is because in the offseason, you work on certain things for four or five months, but until you get into baseball activities, you really don't know when you throw a pitch as a pitcher, if the arm is going to be affected or as a hitter, do you tweak a sign like it happened with uh, Steven Pascotti? So little things can happen during spring training that you wonder why they didn't happen during the off season. And that's usually because of no baseball activities happening during the off season. It's getting your body in shape strength wise, I guess, to get ready for the spring and be ready to go to do the things that you have to do to play the game of baseball.
1: And you know, I thought it was very refreshing, Zach Greinke coming out and talking about an uptick in his velocity this spring. And he said he did less working out and he did more just throwing the baseball. Isn't that amazing? When yeah. you kind of go an old school approach and now velocity's ticking up.
5: He was. How about Mike Marshall back in the '70s when he's with the Dodgers and he made what 101 appearances out on of bullpen? He threw more innings than guys today start, throw as a starter. I think he's over 200 innings. So his philosophy was throw the baseball. So I'm not surprised to see that because I think a lot of times you can bulk yourself up with a position player or, or pitcher, but I think especially a pitcher, you know, you, you can do this weight work, but the last thing you want to do is tighten your body up in the chest and the arms. You want to have the elasticity, as they call it, to be able to have, in the case of Raleigh fingers, the, the old rubber arm syndrome where you could pick up a baseball and you could throw, no matter how much you've thrown in the past. But I think from Zach Greinke's standpoint – Throwing, probably stretching it out, throwing in the outfield, throwing long, so that when he gets on the mound, it's a little bit different. And let's not forget that, you know, he's, he's up in the years as far as the pitching and number of innings that he's pitched. But he also talked about improving his slider. He's got a great curve, he's got a very good fastball. Now the slider, change up. He's a complete pitcher. The Astros are going to need him because Verlander's there and Greg is there, but Garrett Cole's not. So it's going to be interesting what ha- what happens there. But no, I agree with you, Tony. That if you throw the baseball, you're going to improve your arm strength. And in the case of throwing the long distance, and you'll see pitchers doing that when they get on the mound at 60 feet 6 inches, then all of a sudden it's, it's it's a much shorter throw for them, and they do have the uptick in the velocity.
1: We are going to get an update on everything this Friday with the general manager David Force for the David Force Show. But I just I got an opinion here, Foss, that. If we are going to limit the innings pitched by these young pitchers, when we're talking about Jesus Lizardo and A.J. Puck, let's just call it they can go five innings. Do I, want them, does, does, do I want this dynamic arm going the first five innings or the last five innings so he can really factor in a win or a loss for the ball club? You get five innings, Foss. You want the first five or the last five for Jesus Lazardo?
5: Well, I'm going to go another step right in in what you're talking about. If you're going to limit innings, why not start them in the bullpen so they are available in the back half of the season and postseason? Because let's say 30 starts, you've got to be conservative and say 30 starts. Five innings, that's 150 innings. You're going to go pretty fast with that. But there was a pitcher, and I'm trying to remember who it was with Atlanta, who they started in the bullpen because they wanted him available in the second half and for postseason, and it worked out well for them. I think he ended up the Kansas City organization. I'll, I'll remember his name. But sometimes you have to think about long-term. I remember when Steve Stra- Steven Strasberg was shut down um, a few years ago and the Nationals said, well, we're going to be in postseason every year. We just want to shut him down now so he's healthy. That wasn't the case because they weren't in postseason all the time. They did win the World Series this past year, and he's a superstar. But sometimes when you talk about shutting guys down, that means that you've thrown all these innings up front so you get down towards the end of the season and postseason, which is the most important, the guy's not available. So to answer your question, I would rather go first five because you don't know what's going to happen the last four. But if you can start Lazardo and Puck for five innings and they can shut off the opposition, you've got the middle guys in Petit and Bassett who started in, in place of Puck, which is another factor because He's the sixth man in the rotation, and I think he's going to be huge for the A's this year because let's say Puck and Lozardo go short, he could pitch the middle two, two innings or three to get to the setup guy in the closer. And then Petit can do the same thing. Soria can do the same thing. So uh, there's a lot of options, but I think to answer your question, I'd be interested to uh, find out what Scott Emerson and David Forrest and Billy and Bob Melvin say. But I would say they're going to be starters let them start the first five. If you need to pull them because the pitch counts, you want to take care of them. Let it do that and turn it over to the bullpen, which most pitchers don't throw beyond six innings. Anyway, Tony, if they go seven, that's a luxury because there's so few, if any complete games on a roster. So I would get the maximum out of them as a starter, let them prepare in the bullpen, go through the routine and start five innings, six innings, maybe get them out of the game, rest them five days, let them start again, or Miss a start, Chris Bassett can step in and make a start, so you can do that as well. So a lot of options, and I think Scott Emerson and Bob Melvin, two of the best at making sure that those guys stay rested and they get the maximum out of them.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. It's a, I, and I'm going to ask Emo. I'll have Emo on tomorrow, and we'll have uh, Forced on Friday. I'll throw I'll throw this at them and see what they have to say. But these young pitchers, they're very valuable. And as you mentioned, the versatility of Chris Bassett and not only how well he's thrown the ball, but the versatility to be able to start, go in the bullpen, it's just—it's huge for Bob Melvin.
5: You know, I think we talked about it either last week or the week before. Well, it wouldn't have been last week because I think you were back east. No, no the week before you were back east. So, but we have talked about how important and valuable Chris Bassett's going to be for this club because, like you said, the versatility. And I thought yesterday was a perfect example that Bob Melvin and, and, and Scott Emerson said, all right, uh, AJ Puckey got a little bit of stiffness in his arm. Let's shut him down for a few days. So here's Chris Bassett steps right in because they're building him up to be a starter. But it also helps when he's in the bullpen if those five are okay. But I think the option the A's are going to have and, and do have with Chris Bassett, I think, is tremendous for this organization just because it takes the load off some of the young pitchers. Let's not forget Minaya either because he only pitched the last month plus the uh, the wild card. So what, four or five starts. So they're going to monitor his innings as well. So three of the five, you're probably going to be looking at and taking care of, and that's where Chris Bassett's going to step in. You remember when Tony La Russa had a starting rotation of Dave Stewart, Bob Welsh, Mike Moore, Storm Davis, he would alternate Stu, let's say today, and two days later it's Welsh. Why? Because those two guys could go deep in the game. He would not deplete his bullpen. He started the other two, knowing that they might go five, six, seven. He'd have a well-rested bullpen. So you can you can kind of manipulate your starters. Let, let's say you put Fires and then one of the young kids in the middle, and then you have Montas who can go deep in the game. You know, and you can work it that way. You do have five starters, so you're going to probably have to have back-to-back a couple of young guys. But I, I think what you're going to do is have a strong bullpen that can take over when the young guys have to come out of the game, whether it's monitoring their innings. Or you may have to go to them because they're not pitching as well. And let's not forget that 30-35 starts, unfortunately, you don't have somebody that's going to be top of his game on every one of those starts.
1: Great minds think alike because that's how I set it up, Ray. I went Fires 1. I went Lazardo 2. I went Montas 3 because I think I'm going to get innings out of him. Then I go Manaya and then the 5 spot is either Bassett or A.J. Puck.
5: Exactly. No, I agree 100% because that does – allow Bob Melvin and, and Scott Emerson because you don't want to overwork the bullpen. Uh, you know, the, the old saying is you, you don't want to kill your closer in, in April not having them available strong in September. But you need the full complement of the bullpen. I think the A's have that in the guys that they have down in the bullpen. So I think that's going to be a plus. But, you know, the starters, I think going in and, and maybe it's a meeting or at least Scott Emerson says to the bullpen, be ready, guys, because this is kind of how we're going to plan it. But I think the monitoring as much of the relievers as the starters is going to be critical for this ball club going forward. And I, and I think, you know, we're just talking pitching, but the defense, I thought what Lizardo said, and, you know, he, when he pitched against Franklin Lindor the other day in Vegas on, on Sunday and threw 98 first four pitchers and then kind of settled down. But, but you know, he's learned, and, and talking to him as we did on Saturday on NBC Sports, he talked about how his failures have helped him become a better pitcher. That's tremendous to hear. So he also talked about maybe I don't need to throw 98 every pitch. Maybe I throw 95, and when I need 98, I have it to be able to do. Another 10% of the tank. Those are young uh, things that you love to hear from veterans, but how about a youngster who's never really given the opportunity to pitch at the major league level on a consistent basis? And here he is talking about, Uh, pitching, like Mike Messina, I remember he talked about, I never give my maximum effort on every pitch. I save 10% of the tank when I need it. So as a hitter, you see 90, 90, 90, all of a sudden here comes 94. Whoa, where'd that come from? Well, that's what a pitcher can utilize. But if a pitcher goes out and throws 95, 98 every pitch, he's going to be gone because the body and the makeup is not going to allow it to be able to be doing that kind of uh, velocity on fastball. So I I think what Lizardo has done in learning has been tremendous, and that's just the beginning of a great career for him.
1: Well, you you got these teams that are, are relying so much on their bullpen that when they actually do get to the postseason, like we saw with New York, like we saw with the Dodgers, by the time they got to the postseason and they're not getting a lot of innings out of their starters, those bullpens were burnt out by the time they got into postseason.
5: No, you're exactly right. And again, I go back to La Russa and at the end of a season, you could look at every reliever in the bullpen and they had the same number of appearances and most of them had the same number of innings, except for in the case of Dennis Eckersley who was a closer. But I agree with you because you have to almost say to the starters, don't go out there assuming five. Go out there assuming nine. If you go five or six, that's great. But you you I mean you don't want to uh, you don't want to take it so so easy. that that you're not giving your maximum effort. You need to be able to pitch the way you're supposed to pitch, but also think about the length of the game and taking care of the bullpen. I love to hear a starter say, bullpen needs a rest today. I'm going to go nine. I'm going to go seven or eight and and go to the closer. Let everybody else rest. I've had managers at times will tell the bullpen, the guys, relievers, stay on the bench because we're not going to use you. Starter, you've got the whole game. What? Yeah, it's your game. I'm going to rest my bullpen. And, And, you know, sometimes you need to do that. It's tough to do it in these days because in the case of the A's, they had three pitchers, three lefties, who either are young, coming off injuries, or have not pitched a lot. So you have to do that. But I really think that what Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson do very well is that they know who's pitched today, who's available today, who's available tomorrow, and they don't wear them out. And sometimes a guy has to come out of the bullpen, maybe in a role that he's not expected to be in, and has to do that. That makes him feel better to be in that role, but it also takes care of, let's say, a petite or somebody else in that capacity that doesn't have to, are not available that particular day.
1: We could be looking at not one but two two-way players for the Angels because we know how good <laughs> Shohei Otani is, and now they got this guy Jared Walsh. You know, yeah. I, I I I've been I kicked this around the other day. If Trout's making 37 million, right? If you let's yeah. let's say you get a player, hypothetical here, you get a player who is a frontline starter and hits in the middle of your order and he's really good at both, and it's 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 like the little league thing. I'm not I'm not sitting down. I'm playing every single game, I'm gonna hit and pitch. If you have a guy like that, Foss,
5: what would he be worth? <laughs> well, it's it's double the salary that he's making, basically. In the case of Shohei Otani, I mean, he's had the, the Tommy John, he's had knee, he's had different injuries, but assuming he comes back strongly and he's able to pitch every fifth day if they want him to, and he's able to hit. How about Joe Madden said on the days he's pitching, I'm considering letting him hit ninth? How about that? No DH.
1: I mean, I mean, seriously, I, I don't understand exactly. why they're
5: babying
1: him so much. Where he can't, he's going to have the day off before he pitches. He's going to have the day off after. But yeah. Why? Let him play. I, I bet, I bet he wants to play.
5: Yes. Well, I think initially his first year, they did that because they were afraid that he would get hurt and it would mess up the rotation. I, that's what I heard. Because I, I questioned that same thing. You know, why isn't he available? You know, and why isn't he playing when DHing So, um, I, I think there's a lot to that, but with these new rule changes, like with Jared Walsh, I, mean, I saw him. We saw him last year. I question where he's going to play on that team unless he's going to be um, unless he's going to be just strictly a reliever. Because uh, I don't know he's sure he's a two way player, but you know they've got a very good offensive team. The Angels do. So um, if he's in the bullpen and they could use him, but don't you have to designate under the new rules? You have to designate. A two-way player, whether he's going to be a pitcher or position player, isn't that one of the new rules coming up in 2020?
1: Yeah, it says, in order to appear as a pitcher without counting towards a club's pitcher limit, a player must accrue both at least 20 Major League innings pitched and at least 20 games started as a position player or a designated hitter with at least three plate yep. appearances in each of those games. So there, I'll, I'll go over the rules. There's a bunch of rules now, but, yeah, you got to designate yep. the guy and say he is a two-way player.
5: Right. But I think in the case of Otani, it seemed like that new rule was going to benefit the Angels because he's not going to be ready to pitch, but he can hit at the major league level and then go to the minor leagues and pitch in a normal rotation – To get his arm ready to pitch, so it sounds like my question though, if that's the case, they would have to option him, I would think, unless he goes on a rehab. But still, I don't know. It's kind of confusing because essentially, as a pitcher, he's not ready. As a hitter, he is. And I I, said last year when he was coming off Tommy John surgery, he was he was hitting, and I made a joke because he's hitting so well. I said they should stipulate that guy with Tommy John surgery has to take the full time off. He can't hit. Well he's an exception to the rule because he's a, he's a two way player. But, uh, that is interesting with a team having two, uh, possibly really makes it interesting. And now with the 26 ro 26 man roster, the interesting thing there, they would have to designate, let's say Walsh and or Otani as position, because you can't have more than 13 pitchers under the new rules of 26 players. So there's some things that have to be decided, but, uh, I think if anybody can do it, Joe Madden can because he's uh, he's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I want to see him. I want to see him be in home run derby. I want to see him pitch in the All Star game and hit in the All Star game. And that
5: would be incredible. <laughs> that would be great. But you know what? I, I agree with you because if if you're his agent and he is able to stay healthy a whole year, he can hit. I mean, we saw him his first year. He's we legit. His first major league hit. He can hit. First major league hit and then saw him pitch almost a perfect game. You know, he was that good with the splitter and everything. So uh, I, I would think that come time negotiations, you have to say, well, he's not just a very good pitcher. He's an excellent hitter as well. And you combine those two, you're not going to make Mike Trout money because Mike Trout's the best in the game. But uh, plus, he, did you see a golf ball he hit the other day?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That
5: left the top golf just completely. Even, even uh, uh it was a Mickelson said, how, how do he do that? You know, so. Uh, but, no, he's a pretty talented athlete. But uh, but the Angels are going to be good. There's going to be some interesting questions about the Angels and the, the two-way players, especially Otani. I think they just want to see him back healthy completely with doing the knee and the Tommy John surgery and have the complete player. He's still young, and uh, I think they're going to be able to get quite a bit out of the young man before he retires.
1: You've seen a lot of baseball in your career, and you've seen a lot of greatness. Where do you put Mike Trout? Versus all the, I mean, you played against Mays, and you got to see Aaron, uh, you got to see Stan Musial, Mickey Mantle, Bonds, Ricky Henderson. Where do you put Trout?
5: Well, first of all, when when I talked to him, and Derek Jeter was still playing, I said, you know, Mike, when Derek Jeter retires, you're the face of baseball because you're clean cut, you play the game the right way, you're a talented player. But as far as comparing him, what I like about him, remember he, they said his outfield play was not as good as it could be. He worked on his outfield. He strengthened his arm. He, he, you know, he's got tremendous speed, so he can make up for, say, a misjudged uh, fly ball. He can make up for that. But I don't know. I can't think of anybody, when you think of the power, the speed, uh, the, the eye that he has to draw the walk so he could steal bases, he can play the outfield, cover I mean, he's a, he's a complete player. He's not just a DH where he's hitting. He completes the, the, the gamut of being a great player. So uh, I, I don't like to go back and, and take, like, say, Aaron, uh, Musial, Maze, the guys that you mentioned. These are tremendous players in an era which is different than now. Uh, those guys, and I know what I played, we didn't have the scouting reports that they have now, what a guy throws, how much, uh, what his velocity is. So I think, Everything that enhances the game today, uh, whether it be the technology or the knowledge of the game, of, of what somebody is doing, I think that helps the player. But I think you can overthink it as well. I, I, I think at times it's better just to see ball, hit ball, and let's go. But if you have talent and eye coordination, you're going to be a great player as a, as a hitter. But Mike Trout is good, and, and if he stays healthy, my question, should he not play? There's a lot of money that they are paying him not to play. So I'm sure that, uh, you know, with with players so-called needing the rest, the days off or whatever, we won't see a Cal Ripken Jr. anymore. It's a question that the fans are going to go see Mike Trout play, and they are hoping that he plays just because they're going to watch him play. But to answer your question, I don't know that you can compare him to anybody because he's that good. And the way that he has kind of changed the game, he's a threat. And, and, you know, I I think of whenever Pujols is hitting behind him, he's at first base, so let's say first and third, infield back for a double play. And I've said this, he would run. He'd steal second to stay out of a double play, knowing that if Albert hits the ball on the ground, it's going to be a double play. So he's smart in that sense, but he's also an exceptional hitter, very quick, and uses the whole field. But, man, what a tremendous talent. But uh, um, he's very outspoken about the Astros, too, which I think kind of set him aside because he he was kind of not – out of the public a lot, but uh, he did speak out about the Astros and what was going on. So he's turning into the type of player I'm sure baseball wants. but I still say with the way he is, he's a, he's a complete player and he probably right now is the face of baseball just because of everything he can do. Foss, you are the best. We'll see you on Saturday. You're a good man, Tony. Cody, the best. And uh, sorry missy you, Cody, but see you back at the Coliseum. But, you know, do you see the picture of the Coliseum, how great it looks that Claywood is working on that and so beautiful. I mean it's it's pristine and that's always great to go back to that beautiful Coliseum and see the fans out there and uh, you know it, it's just a, it's just a great time of the year as we always talk about. it's going to be a special season for the A's, for the A's fans and uh, let's just say a little prayer at night that everybody stays healthy because if this team is healthy, they're going to I wouldn't say surprise. I think they are, they've they made themselves known around baseball that they're a very good team. And I think we're going to see that come March the 26th at the Coliseum on the opener against the Minnesota Twins.
1: See you on Saturday.
5: You're a good man. Take care, my friend.
1: The great Ray Fossey. Coming up next, Eno Saris from The Athletic right here on A's Cast
0: Live. A's cast. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. We're
1: actually in Mesa, Arizona. Don't forget, single game tickets on sale right now. Come see all the great teams. Come see all the great stars. Athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. Position players must be designated as a two way player in advance of a game in which they pitch. Once that designation is put in place, it remains in effect and cannot change for the remainder of the season and postseason. The only way a position player not designated as a two-way player can pitch in a game, basically it's a blowout, and you want to use an actual position player, is if the team is winning or losing by seven or more runs or if the game goes to extra innings. Uh, are they overthinking this or what? <laughs> Seriously. Eno Saris from The Athletic. Eno, how are you, buddy? I'm with you, man. Yeah, I, I'm reading. Runs, it's a
6: ridiculous rule.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm reading. I mean, it's just you got 26. If you have a 26-man basically... Just if the guy can pitch, guy cannot pitch. Just they're just overthinking it because now the Angels they potentially could have two two-way players.
6: Mm, yeah, with Jared Walsh. Yeah. Yeah, you know the one thing is though, if you don't put any language like that in, you know what some team would do? They'd have like fifteen relievers.
1: Yeah. Well, the one guy we were thinking about that this would have been perfect for him and I think he would have been very good at it because I actually got to play against him in college. When, when you played against Mark Kotze, he'd go three for four off of you, hit a jack, and then he'd come in from center field and close the game out at Cal State Fullerton. It would, it, if, if people were into this back in the day, it would have been interesting to see if Mark Kotze could have done it.
6: Yeah, yeah, Jake DeGrom uh, did that. He was a shortstop in college. Uh, and came in off to to, to close game. And you know what? That's actually how I would use Otani. I mean, I guess uh, if you can get 150 innings out of him, that's better. But uh, we're not sure we can get 150 innings out of him. And how awesome would it be if he, like, hit two jacks and then closed the game out?
1: Yeah, that would be pretty I mean, the guy's fascinating. (laughs) And And – and he can—he's—he can do it all too, because he's really fast. That, that was probably the most yeah. shocking. I mean, we knew he could pitch. We knew we had power. The most shocking thing for me was about how fast he was. When we look at the American League West, and you're looking at all the chaos that's going to be around the Astros, but they still got a lot of talent. You look at the A's coming off back-to-back 97 wins. The Angels feel they got uh, they can hopefully outscore ya. We're still kind of trying to figure out the Rangers. We know that Seattle's in rebuild mode. How are you viewing the ALS going into 2020?
6: I think it's probably the second uh, toughest division or the toughest division in baseball this year. Um, you know, the only thing it's kind of it's kind of hard to say toughest with quotes because I wouldn't say that the teams in the National League Central are as good as the teams in the American League West, but top to bottom, that may be a tougher division just because they're packed in together tighter uh, when you're talking about the Cubs, the Cardinals, uh, the Brewers, uh, you know, and the Reds there. That's that's a pretty tight grouping. Uh, but you know, I think that those are the two going to be the two hardest divisions, and uh, you going to you may see someone win it with uh, 92 or something. I know that the Astros won a ton of games last year, but you have to think that this will weigh on them in some way. And uh, not to mention, like they're going to get hit by some pitches, and some of their stars may may just miss some games because they're hurt because they got hit by a pitch.
1: All right, today on the Athletic, I see your article. It says, "What's more important for a pitcher, command or stuff?" So, what's the answer? <laughs>
6: it depends. No, uh,
1: the 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 real answer is stuff
6: is more important for results. Uh, but if you want to be a starting pitcher, there's a minimum level of command uh, that might. That might, uh, that might resonate with the sort of old school. I think that sounds like something that, that it might be a truism that people have heard before. But like you know, if you don't have good enough command, you're going to be a reliever, no matter how many pitches you've got.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you don't have command, your pitch count. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna. I mean, that's that, that's part of the problem with some of these guys who are five and dive. You don't throw strikes, and you're going, or you're a big strikeout guy, and you're going to a lot of two, two, three, two counts. That pitch mm-hmm. count's gonna that, that pitch count's gonna get up on you quick.
6: I think that's actually part of what's happened. Why we're having more five and dive guys, and why we're having more long counts, and have more strikeouts is the teams for for the most part have decided that stuff is the way to go. That's why you're seeing the average fastball velocity go from like 89 to 93 in the last decade. So they're chasing stuff. There's only a few teams out there that really prioritize command. Um, and I think, you know, actually the A's are one of them. That's one of the ways that they pick up guys like Mike Fiers, uh, Tanner Roark, you know, guys that are useful um, and and, and don't, don't cost as much. But, you know, if you want to turn the lineup over, Tanner Roark actually just said something really interesting. He said... If I don't have good command on my slider and I don't throw it exactly where I want to throw it and they spoil it, now they've seen my slider and they've probably seen one of my better sliders, do I throw it again? You know, like they're going gonna—they're gonna, more likely to be able to hit it the next time because if you miss your spot a little bit, they get to see it once and they get to time it. So, you know, command and stuff are intertwined, so you're never going to really be able to be like, aha! But uh, the, the thing that was really eye-opening to me was, you could predict if a pitcher was a starter more by command than by stuff.
1: A couple questions I want to get into with you is about the bullpen. And you know Brian Kinney well. He comes on our show. He loves talking about bullpenning. But bullpens are being overused right now. And I talked about it with Ray Fossey about, you know, you look in the playoffs and the Yankees and the Dodgers bullpen, they were shot. They were burned out. The more you research it and the more innings we're seeing pitched every year by bullpens, what needs to happen to try and keep a bullpen somewhat, I'm not going to say fresh, but not burning a bullpen out by the time you get to the postseason?
6: You know what you need? You, know, you need a bunch of uh, you know, near-ready young arms, something like the Padres have, uh, something almost like what the A's had last year. Now Puck and Huzardo are going to be in the rotation, uh, but remember what it's like to call up a puck or Lazardo late in the in the in the season and be like, "Wow, you guys haven't seen this guy." <laughs> so they haven't seen him. They arm is as fresh. They can they can maybe push pitch, pitch multiple innings. It's part of what the Brewers have done. What the Padres might be able to do if you have a lot of young arms that you can option up and down. You can kind of play the game, hide the guy, keep them fresh. Uh, you need more than the eight or so guys that you're gonna that you kind of go to war with in the beginning you need to kind of think who who are my you know nine through 13 guys
1: you know the a's two years ago their bullpen was lights out and then last year it wasn't and we see this all the time in baseball why do you think it's so hard to have consistency with a bullpen year in and year out
6: Uh, Two reasons. One is you're trying to predict what a reliever is going to do off of a small sample. Um, So just look at the kind of relievers that pop up or go down. Like, think of uh, Liam Hendricks' career. Like, there's times when you would have been like, he's toast, you know, and then, like, a month later, whoa, what is this guy? (laughs) Um, So, like, you know, I I think just there's the random variance that happens when you're only throwing about 50 innings, 60 innings a year. But the other thing, uh, that I think is interesting is that when you now think about command and stuff and which type of pitchers end up in the bullpen, it's guys with funky mechanics. They don't have much command. Uh, you know, their their pitches go in and out. Maybe their second pitch is there. or Maybe it's not. And so that kind of stuff leads to one year you say so like, oh, my command is here. I've got it. I'm healthy. I'm good. And the next year, you're like, ah, oh, crap, I lost my slider or I did this or this happened. So um, I just think that's what happens. I think Lou Trevino, for example, is a great story. first year he comes up, lights out. Everyone's like, oh my God, look at this rook. He's crazy. Second year, uh, you know, he adds another pitch. He loses the command. He's having some trouble. I bet you this year, Luce had a great
1: year. We'll take that. And you mentioned Liam Hendricks. <laughs> it, 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 it. Liam Hendricks is the craziest story, right? He's DFA'd. Then he's, starting yeah. the, then he's starting the wild card game. Then the next year, he's an all-star. And then this year, yeah. we, we, we saw him the other day on the field. I said, you're on the cover of the media guy. Two years ago, you were DFA. Now you're on the media <laughs> guy. That's crazy.
6: Yeah, yeah. And, like, when he was a starter with the Twins a long time ago, he was struggling to crack ninety. <laughs> so like you know it's been a crazy story for him and uh and he could be happy for him because he's such a nice guy but you know it's uh he kind of represents the ups and downs of being a reliever
1: all right we always ask you because you're a beer connoisseur and we had your winter beer but now we're into spring what is the spring beer for Eno Saris?
6: Ooh, you know um i was just in tampa so i mean i'm not sure that the the listenership can get there. Uh, but it's a type of beer that's uh, perfect for what's happening right now. Uh, you, there's a Saison, you can, it's called a mixed fermentation Saison. And so what you do is you kind of, you brew a Saison and you put it in oak for a little bit. And what you get out of it is a fresh tasting, lightly tart. It's kind of sourish, but not really just a, a real nice spring beer. Um, you know, Green Bench and Tampa had it. I think that, uh, there's some brewers that do something like that. Santiago Darius comes to mind uh, locally here. Uh, that that kind of plays with that, uh, you know, t- tart and and fresh.
1: Yeah, because you're you're not really going a really strong hard beer in springtime, right? No, you kind of want to, you know, you know,
6: kind of like I think a saison in general is pretty cool. I mean, saison for people that want to kind of. Uh, have tried like Belgians and never liked an IPA, if Saison is a way, or if you never liked the sour before, you could start with a Saison. That kind of uh, gives you the feeling of uh, of a sour without being sour. And, and you might be able to go from there and kind of be a crossover beer. But Saisons are, are pretty cool beers.
1: You know what I've really noticed lately? Because I am an IPA guy is Uh you're 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 either in or you don't like it at all it's it's like one of those styles of beers that there's no middle road there you either love it or you don't like it and you want no part of it and that's what's
6: weird about that is it's the biggest it's the biggest um style of beer like it's the weirdest like there's there's all kinds there's milkshake ipas there's sour ipas there's crisp IPAs, West Coast IPAs, dank IPAs, like there's a lot of different, like hazy IPAs. There's a million different types of IPAs. Like when someone says they don't like an IPA, I ask them, you know, what beer, what do you like? And I, and I try to find them. Sometimes I find them an IPA they like, I mean, because they just, maybe they've had a bitter IPA and they think, oh, all IPAs are bitter. Um, And I think that's not necessarily true.
1: Yeah, and they're English Ipas uh, and, and I think about there's some that have high Ibus some that have low Ibus it, it is it is interesting
6: I love the style it's kind of like a canvas like a different brewer has a totally different idea about what it should taste like
1: Eno, you are the best when are you uh when are you coming out to Arizona uh
6: it should be next week I, I hope all this uh, craziness about the coronavirus doesn't uh, doesn't keep me grounded but I, it should be next week and I, I can't wait to get out to camp
1: Always appreciate the time and you know we'll always be promoting you on the athletic. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Take care, you know. He's always one of my favorites. All these guys are our favorites, for God's sakes. Commander, you don't like IPAs, right? Uh false. I love IPAs. You you love IPAs? Yes.
2: That's what we were that's what we were drinking last night at that Whoa. really loud bar.
1: Whoa, I I, I was I was <laughs> I was in the hotel room watching film. film. I was I was I was breaking film of what I was breaking down uh, A's second base. The competition. I was watching video last night. Yeah,
2: there are five guys we have to break down for that position. <laughs> so um, I was it, having I had Loganita's last night from uh, Petaluma. I think the what I had was the Voodoo Ranger, which was pretty good. I, I'm a big Plenty the Elder fan and Plenty the Younger. Very good. Uh, they had the Younger San Jose last week. The great great Alex Jensen was drinking it with me. Very rare to find that on tap. Uh, They had it on tap at O'Flaherty's in San Jose. Mm. And the great Alex Jensen even decided to drink it because he does not like IPAs. I'll tell you what.
1: This is a really long article that Eno wrote about what's more important, Commander stuff. Uh, I can't wait to talk to Scott Emerson about this. Always the number one thing. The best ability, availability. Availability is everything, as I've always been told. If you take the ball every five days, and you give me thirty-something
2: starts, you're going to make money. Uh, well, behold, who's the guy that Eno you know, has is a picture of his on his article? It's Jacob Degrom. That's uh, Mister. That's Mister. Back to back. Hey, the guy doesn't miss starts. He's dependable, reliable. They're kind of the same thing. I mean, that's and he a- has elite stuff. Good command.
1: And that's why they're excited down here about a left-hander that's going to be pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks.
2: Robbie Ray. I like him too. He's a good pitcher. No, this Madison Bumgarner. Oh, you mean Mason Saunders?
1: The fact that Madison Bumgarner, you know, without the freak accidents.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the rodeo,
1: yeah, and if Massim, <laughs> Man, he's he's a guy that you think is going to give you thirty-two starts, and he's going to take the ball every time, and he's going to give you over
2: two hundred innings. Uh, completely, he'll be he'll lead their staff in starts. I think there's no question to that because who knows how long Robbie Ray will be with the Diamondbacks, and they're a team that's looking to compete in the NL West. You know, they only finished twenty-one games behind the Dodgers last year. Yeah, even they won 85 that's games. It? Yeah, That's it, 21 games. They won 85 games and still finished 20 behind in the, in the division. I, I, I agree with you. I think Bum is going to go at least – I'd say at least 32 starts because, you know, th- usually 33 is the high for guys. They usually hit around 33. Sometimes you see an, an odd outlier number of like 34, 35. But I, I think he's going to be – Yeah, more, that's he, a lot. Yeah, he's going to – well, yeah, but they, they might start 35 games and only pitch 185 innings.
7: That's such ridiculous.
2: Some guys might even have less. Some guys might have more, but it depends on who it is. But I think Cole had – Cole and Verlander were well over 220, I think, last year. Let, actually, let me look because I don't want to be wrong. Do you remember last year
1: where we were talking about the strength of the A's? Do you remember last spring training what we said was the strength of the A's? Do you remember? Wasn't it the bullpen? It was the bullpen. And the reality is they had a bazillion –
2: blown saves. I think it was 31. Yeah, so I think it was 31. Like I mean, the league.
1: You just, you just, you win 97 games and you blow that many
2: games. Like I said, if you add 16, this takes 16, and you add them to your wins, you have 113 wins. I and mean, Grady Fuson said that to us. Yeah, it, it
1: tells you, you just, you just don't know. year in and you like, how does Blake Trinan go from having one of the greatest years of a reliever has ever had, to the next year, he's getting pounded.
2: Same with Lou Trevino. Trevino was greatest rookie year, and we saw what happened. He had an air over five last year.
1: I mean, it's just – you just – you can't – you can't rely. I mean, we love Liam Hendricks, but we don't know if Liam's going to come out and be as dominant as he was last year. You just don't
2: know. Relievers are always a tricky a, – a tricky a – tricky... Player to figure out because some guys are dominant. Another good example is Edwin Diaz with the Mar- Mariners. Oh my god! He had what fifty something saves with the Mariners. He goes out. He blew how many games last year for the Mets? Where people are like, oh, start using Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo, who was a middle middle reliever slash starter for them, they, they were having him close out games because they couldn't trust a guy that had fifty plus saves the year before to close out games for them. Who they gave up a lot of people to get, and they did get back Robinson Cano. Don't you know? But he ended. Up, Robbie. But guess what? Then he got he got hurt last year too. So shocker. Brody Van Wagenen. Um, he fired Mickey Calloway, so I don't want to. But he did hire Carlos Beltran, and he fired him too. Yeah. So he's how's he, that working? He's fired two managers in less than a, in less than a year as a, as the uh, GM of the Mets. Why did you bring the devil up on your computer? Oh, because I was looking at their. Uh, he at Verlander at two hundred and twenty three innings pitched last year. Cole had. 212, but they both both won 20 games. If you care about wins, which uh, we're not going to get that again, but they both won 20 games last I year. I mean, they both were dominant. Everybody's goal is to win. Last time I checked, it is. But you can still be a
1: great pitcher and not have 20 wins. Greg Maddox didn't win 20 that many times.
2: So won over three, what? He won 350 in but his career. Won, but he won 15 or more a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, he was. Greg Maddox to me is the greatest pitcher I've ever seen pitch. To me, this stuff why? Because he wasn't a guy that's going to blow you away with a 98 mile per hour fastball like J- Randy Johnson, or have that wicked slider like Johnson did. But Greg Maddox was—he knew how to paint the corners. He was a what about master the, painter on the mound. What about the Rocket, Roger Clemens? He—he uh, he was pretty good. How many Cy Youngs did he win? He won like what six, seven? It's <laughs> pretty good. Guy won
1: seven Cy Young awards, and he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, well, either's very Bonds, Bonds won
1: seven MVPs, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Someday maybe. Pete Rose. Four thousand. I mean, this stuff just off the top of the head. Four thousand two hundred and fifty six hits. Not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. In a in a museum.
2: It's just a museum. We saw we saw Pete in Vegas. <laughs> oh, I took a picture next. Yeah. Where, where where were we? Uh we were in like the food court of the MGM going to dinner that really nice high end Italian or uh wasn't it um was it Emerald's it was, kitchen or it something? It was like that? Louisiana style. Yeah Cajun. But, yeah, Pete was right there. The hit king. Sure, he was probably in there earlier signing autographs and charging for it like he normally does. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Joe Montana, are like, they always charge for autographs. Well, wouldn't you? Yeah, but when.
1: Those guys didn't make the money you think they did. Oh, well, no, not at all. They weren't making $30 million a
2: year. Now you got guys. I mean, were-
1: Montana's made, 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 Joe Montana's made a lot of money. Sketchers. Off, off being Joe Montana. Yeah. He makes a couple million or whatever it is a year just being Joe Montana.
2: There was a there was I think it was C.J. McCollum from the the Blazers. The other day tweeted out that he's going to stop signing autographs because of everything going on with the coronavirus. So yeah, people are not shaking hands. Wash your hands. Stay away from people. Stay a few feet from people. So uh, we we saw we saw it yesterday when we were at dinner. The Pirates are extensively cleaning out their clubhouse in Bradenton. They're complex because uh, that's
1: about all that uh, the pirates are doing this year. Yeah, well, they're not, I don't. I don't
2: expect them to go very far he, this year. Yeah,
1: I, I think the they're not going to be raise the Jolly
2: Roger. They're going to be saying that. Uh, I'll say about sixty-five times. No, nah, they'll win more than that. Probably seventy. I I just they're I, I don't want I don't want to sit here and go they're going to be awful because that's usually when the team's good. They're not going to be good. No, they don't. They're, if they're pitching staff rebounds, they might be in games, but they're not going to win a lot of games because they don't have any offense.
1: I mean, that's, that
2: division—that's
1: division that's a video. Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds are our are, are now Cincinnati Reds. We're now way, Reds fans this year.
2: By, by the I, way, the, the, I'm going from a Mets fan last year to a Reds fan this year. By the way, our our good friend Trevor Bauer might be joining us this week. They said they sent the requests over oh. to him. He's been on fire. Yeah,
1: he's been on, he's been he's just been he's been fabulous. I, by
2: the way, I think on Friday you've got to venture into the cl- the Reds clubhouse and find Sonny Gray because Trevor's not going to be here. So you got to find Sonny Gray. He's not, he's not pitching for sure. No, they said he won't be here for that game. But you can you should probably try to look and see if you can find Sonny Gray. Oh god! Well, if we
1: could get if we get Trevor Brower and make the week, he's just he's he's. He's been lighting up the Astros like a
2: Christmas tree. The best part is when we have him on, we ask him three questions and he's done because he answers for five minutes. He's, he's, he's a he's a media dream. And and he's been doing a lot more of it. He's putting himself out there, which is what people want to see. And uh, I, I know that you know the whole you know what he did the other day. A lot of people might agree or disagree. I love we, we both loved it. I, I love everything he's been doing. And he he has his own media company here in Arizona, Momentum. Um. He, the guy gets it. The guy gets a lot of things. In it. I mean, people might say, well, he doesn't have a lot of friends. Who cares? The guy gets it, and he's very smart. He didn't go to UCLA just – well, he went there for baseball, but he still to be pretty smart to go to UCLA. There's
1: no doubt about it. Coming up next, Tim Neverett, the play-by-play man for the Los Angeles Dodgers as the A's will be taking on the Dodgers tomorrow right here at
0: Ho-Ho Camp Park. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, in Cactus League
1: action, coming up a little bit later, it's going to be the Dodgers and the Giants. And earlier today, I caught up with Tim Neverett, their TV and radio play-by-play guy. Tim, welcome to A's Cast Live. We appreciate you taking the time before a game tonight with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Thanks. Anytime, Chris. So a lot to get into a Dodger baseball, but first we're going to be down there for the all-star game. And it's been a while since I've been at Dodger stadium and they're renovating, which is one of the great ballparks, one of the great sporting places to go and all of American sports. How's it look in the renovation for Dodger stadium?
7: Uh, from all indications, they're on target to be pretty much ready for opening day. I know last season, Uh, There were renovations going on outside of the playing area. So they've worked on the outfield wall. They've added uh, what they're calling home run seats, because if you remember the outfield wall has always been pretty high and the seats are are back from it. Now they've added two seats or two rows of seats right behind the wall all the way around. And, and they've made it a a special thing. And then, uh, of course, uh, what they've built outside behind the center field wall is a great fan area that is, it, it's going to be a centerpiece of Dodger stadium. So I think this year with the renovations and when people get to see it around the all-star game, people don't normally get to go to the Dodger stadium. They're really going to like what they see.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see it. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think the expectation for the Dodgers, I mean, they've won the division seven straight years. I mean, that's a record in the national league West. And then you add bets uh, and I'm looking at your guys' lineup going into the Giants game tonight. I mean, just seeing Mookie Betts in there, this lineup, do you think this, this has the making of a historic lineup in baseball history?
7: Well, I think that's the hope. You know, they they went through great lengths to get Mookie Betts and David Price on this roster. So I think that uh, they're, they're hoping that it's going to put them over the top. Uh, they were very disappointed with the finish last year. Uh, it finished up to the Nationals in the Division Series. They had them on the ropes. Probably should have won that series and moved on, but it didn't happen. Uh, They're upset with back-to-back World Series losses uh, to Houston in 17, Boston in 18, and, and you know, they've got to put all that behind them, which they have, but I like what Mookie Betts has done. Uh, he came into camp and, and basically stood up in front of everybody and said, look, we all have to be accountable. Here's a guy new to the ball club, but, but a very established and – and decorated major leaguer, and he said, we all have to be accountable, and I'm going to start with myself, uh, but let's treat every game like it's Game 7, and we're going to go out and win the World Series. And I think, you know, even some of the, the veteran players were really impressed by how Mookie handled himself at the beginning of camp, how he's handled himself every day, and I think there's going to be some special uh, Mookie moments this year at Dodger Stadium for
1: sure. Yeah, he brings the hardware. I mean, he's got a World Series ring. He's got an MVP. He's legit. And, and I just wonder what we're learning in Milwaukee right now about It's somewhere around nine years, $215 million. Obviously, you work in Southern California. You know all about the Mike Trout deal at $435 million. You know, Mookie Betts is not going to be cheap, but do you think this is more of a a long-term deal, or do you think he's a rental?
7: Well, I think the Dodgers are hoping that they can sign him after this year. And I think that if Mookie likes it in Los Angeles and looks at it and says, hey, you know, uh, let's just say they do win the World Series. If if he has an an idea that they're going to win it again, uh, he might want to be there. I don't think that he's going to accept any kind of hometown discount like Yelich did. I mean, that was uh, way below market value in today's baseball. But uh, Betts is going to get his money. And being in a market like Los Angeles, I think it's going to take five minutes for the people in L.A. to fall in love with Betts. I do think that uh, Mookie's going to help them tremendously at the top of the order, defensively, running the bases, all the things that he does. And I, my hope is that Mookie likes it enough in Los Angeles that he would make them the leader in the clubhouse next year and want to re-sign.
1: Yeah, and then, and then you got the reigning MVP who is just so special. I mean, this kid is just unbelievable. Cody Bellinger, when you think what he does offensively, you think what he's what he does defensively. I mean, really to have two of the top five players in all the game in the same outfield has just got to just uh, – everybody in Dodger Blue has just got to be so excited about this. It's incredible.
7: Yeah, I mean – you can tell there's a buzz, you know, even at the spring training games, when Mookie's in the lineup, when Bellinger's in the lineup, when they're in the lineup together, uh, there's, there's been a buzz around camp. There, there's going to be a definite buzz around Dodger stadium too. I mean, these folks are, they're going to come out in droves this year. This is a team that led major league baseball in attendance last year. I would expect them to do it again this year because of the fact they have a team that's not only contending, but because they've got two of the most exciting players in baseball to watch play. Now, Imagine having Bellinger in as good a year as he had and as fun as he was to watch last year and as clutch as he was. Now you had a guy who's already done that for another team, helped them do a World Series, and has similar skills. Uh, you've got two guys playing next to each other who each could be an MVP candidate in the National League. I mean, it's a realistic possibility. They both could battle for a batting title. Who knows? Uh, even if they take a step back. I mean, because Betts took a step back numbers-wise from his 2018 MVP campaign, but he was off the charts in 18. He still had 29 home runs at 295, which I think anybody would take. He had 80 runs batted in last year, but he scored 94 runs. So he's going to come up once a game with nobody on base, the only guy he can drive in is himself. So he's not going to be a 100-run guy, a 100-RBI guy. He's probably going to be a 100-run score guy. Uh, and I see Bellinger having an opportunity to get to 100 RBIs pretty easily with bets getting on base in front of him.
1: You know, L.A. and Southern California is about star power, and the Lakers have led that for so many years, and also the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I think about Betts, I think about Bellinger. You now add Rendon along with Trout and Shohei Otani and Albert Pools. You can even go down to San Diego with Machado and Tatis Jr. The amount of star power in Major League Baseball in Southern California right now is unprecedented.
7: It it really makes for some fun nights at the ballpark. Of course, the weather helps too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, it, 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 you go to Dodger Stadium, you go to Anaheim, you go to San Diego, you're not going wrong uh, in terms of the weather. First of all, you're going to have a beautiful night, see a ball game. But you're not only going to see a ball game; you're going to see all those guys that you mentioned. And uh, it, it's a it's a great spot right now for Major League Baseball, and I think a spot that hopefully Major League Baseball takes advantage of. I think the Dodgers with uh, you know, their projected uh, win total this year, whatever, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones to get, I think, most of the attention. But I do think that Major League Baseball should, and, and the TV network should spend a lot of attention in Southern California this year because of all of those great players.
1: You know, with the Oakland A's, we got a pretty good ball club, too, that's won 97 games two straight years and has really poised for a breakout here and hopefully a long postseason run. And there is a connection between the A's and the Dodgers. Obviously, they've played twice in the World Series. But the last time the Dodgers won it was against the A's in 88. The last time the A's won it was against the Giants in 89. Both these franchises, long-time droughts in the World Series, uh, winning the World Series. How much is that talked about down there?
7: Uh, Not much yet. I I think probably that will come up a little bit tomorrow when we uh, play the A's for the first time in spring. But I I do think that people uh, in the baseball side of things understand how good the A's are and how much of a an impact they've had on the Dodger franchise over the past, uh, I think, you know, in the Dodgers' favor in 88. But I, I don't think anybody thought that the Dodgers would beat the A's and then go on and beat the, you know, or beat the Mets and then go on and beat the A's in 88. But they did. And now they're trying to win their first World Series since. They haven't won one since. But I, I do think that the A's uh, have a, the best chance to win the West. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think they're that good. Um, you know, quietly they just just get their business done year in and year out. And they've been pretty consistent. And if they've had a rough start, I wouldn't worry about it because they usually make up for it somehow. Um, but the A's are a very interesting ball club. I know, you know, we're going to see Mike Fires pitch tomorrow. And I've seen him pitch a number of times in the past. He can be tricky. Uh, but I, I do think that the A's have built a very good ball club. They've got a great manager. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, they're going to give teams in the American League West uh, some headaches this year, that's for sure.
1: Let's end on this, and Andrew Friedman, you know, went the big, obviously, the trade with the Red Sox, but there's been all kinds of rumors this offseason, whether we're talking Lindor with Cleveland or Bryant with Chicago. We know they were, they were in on Cole for free agency. So when you think of position player, you think of starting pitching, do you think the Dodgers are set where they are, or do you think we could still see more moves done before the trading deadline?
7: I don't think any team is set. I, I think that the, if you ask any general manager or president of baseball ops, they're going to tell you that they have people on the ground all over the place still looking for ways they can improve the ball club, no matter how good or how, how poor they're playing. Uh, I don't think they're done. I mean, just a, just a hunch. I don't know anything. They don't invite me to those meetings. But I, I think that they would still continue to look for either a bat, maybe even another arm, maybe another bullpen piece. Uh, down, the, down the line here, but I, I don't know if they're going to make any maneuvers until July if they make any. Sometimes when you get to the deadline, we've heard this a lot in the past from baseball executives that sometimes the best trades you, you make are the ones you don't make. But we don't know. I, I do think that the Dodgers will be in the market for for something, somebody, somewhere. Um uh, if they think they need it, you know, you never know what happens. You know, you, you hope nobody gets hurt. Sometimes that happens and you have to fill a hole. That's what happened a couple of years ago when Corey Seager went down, the shortstop, and then went out and got Manny Machado. Uh, so you hope that doesn't have to happen to anybody this year. But I think for sure that they have their eyes and ears open. And if there's a way to improve the ball club, they'll do it.
1: Tim, thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it. Have a good call tonight. And we'll see you tomorrow here at ho Camp. No
7: problem. Make sure uh, Ken and Vince are behaving themselves.
1: (laughs) We try it. You know what? They're hard to keep down. I mean, they're hard. I mean, it's just this can be a wild bunch here in Oakland. I know. I know. I've known Ken forever, and
7: I'm planning on seeing him tomorrow. So I know he'll be on his best behavior.
1: All right. A little talk, a little Dodger blue. It's going to be fun seeing the Dodgers here tomorrow. They are a strong club. Could we have a three-peat in the World Series between the Dodgers and the Athletics to settle the score? You ready for a little buying or selling to end this program today on a Wednesday day off for the A's?
0: It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast
2: Live. Well, we got the news earlier. You know, first of all, let me say it's been an honor getting to come down to spring training for a few days with you. And thank you to Matt Pearl and everyone for making it possible for me to be able to come down. Well, come over from Vegas on, on my trip to come to spring training for a few days. It's been great. Um, had a lot of fun. We got to see a lot of people we know. We're going to see them all summer long. So it's not like uh, we won't see them very, you know, for a long time after this. So
1: I, I am glad that we started with Vegas
2: and that we didn't end with Vegas, yeah, because that would have been really bad. Agree, hundred percent. Although Vegas was fun, um, it was a good, it was a good trip to get away. And then I, I don't really enjoy getting up at four thirty in the morning to fly, but I did it and I, I battled through and I got here and we had fun. So,
1: so when this when this thing's over on Sunday, I will have been on the road eighteen of twenty two days. It's a lot because I did the family vacation back east. I've been living out of the suitcase and hotel beds for a while.
2: Yeah. And now
1: down here, it's allergy season. It's brutal down here.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm kind of glad. I'm I'm glad I'm going home. You know, you'll still be down here, but I'll be back in the office. And I haven't seen the dog in forever, so it'll be nice. Tell everybody I said hello. All right. So the uh, boss of Red Sox, well, this is kind of moot point now, but (coughs) excuse me, the Red Sox were waiting on, one more medical opinion on Chris Sale's injury, but we found out that he's not going to have Tommy Zahn surgery. But Ron Renneke stressed that the Red Sox need to get this right before they wanted to proceed with Sale before they found out about the injury. Well, this all is different now, but anyway, Sale won 6-11 last year with a 4.41 ERA in 25 starts in 2019. From 2012 to 2018, he finished in the top six of the Cy Young voting, including finishing second in 2017. Buying or selling, Chris Sale Sell will not pitch at all in 2020. Because
1: remember he's. I don't. The- I, I. You don't go get three opinions if something's not wrong. Plus, he's going to start the year on the IL with pneumonia. So, I just like Louis Severino. Something's wrong, and what they're trying to you know. So it, 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 hey, it's it, it's every individual player's career. They're giving him an option to not do Tommy John and to do the shot and do the platelet,
2: rich platelet, whatever the hell it is. It's like rich plasma, plasma platelet plate injection, something like that. You yeah.
1: know, and you're going to hope for the best. Like, you know, like one guy that's battled it and has made it through is Tanaka with the Yankees because he could have easily got Tommy John. Yeah. But, but, he, the, but the whole thing. He had the, the he, great Pam Pitts, by the way. We talked about you earlier today. Said congratulations on the anniversary. We talked about it live. Uh, I just, I... You saw one specialist. He didn't like what he saw. Then you saw a second specialist. And then now a third. I just. The the longer you put this off, the longer it is before you get back on the mound.
2: Yeah. And we talked about this earlier with Fossey. He's a guy they need to bank on. I mean, you already lost David Price. You got Eduardo Rodriguez. First
1: of all, you can't bank on him. You can't bank. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go out and he's so basically what he's saying, and I'm just reading the tea leaves, is that I'm going to go out and give it a shot. And there's a chance I go out and give it a shot. It ain't going to work. I get Tommy John anyway. So I might as well give it a shot, see if it will work. If it doesn't, then I get Tommy John. And I'm still, you know, I mean, if he gets the surgery in three weeks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's probably the thought process. I'm,
2: I'm trying to think of who they have. Like They have Eduardo Rodriguez, who I think won 19 games last year for them, left in the rotation. Uh, it's going to be – Boston's going to in front down here, which ranges to the next one. Boston's a great sports town. They have a lot of rich tradition. The Patriots and their six Super Bowls, and well, the potential departure of Tom Brady could be on the horizon. They got the Celtics. They got the Boston Bruins, who are one of the best teams in the NHL right now. Then you have the Sox because now you've not lost Mookie Betts. They fired their manager, hired a new one. Uh, we know what's going on with Chris Sale. The scandal's still looming around them. And all this, besides the scandals, happened in the past few months for new chief baseball officer, High and Bloom. So I ask you, buying or selling High and Bloom will be out in Boston by 2023.
1: Buying. I don't think he's going to last long. These people want wins. They want a battle for World Series. And... Right now, they got payroll conflict. They're old. They lost their best player. J.D. Martinez can still opt out next year. And he people already in Boston don't like him. Boston doesn't want to operate like they're Tampa Bay. So, if you talk to people in Boston, they already don't like him, and they haven't even played a game yet under him. That's not a good sign.
2: Yeah, it's not good, and in- you know, what to say about Boston right now, too, when you let Mookie Betts go, you trade him, but then Milwaukee resigns their best player in a small market, in a small market like Milwaukee. They resigned yellow to a seven-year deal, and they, with the two years he had left, it's nine years around 215, but you couldn't resign Mookie Betts in Boston, or, and he, or you didn't want to.
1: And you, and, and you have the most expensive tickets in the game.
2: Yeah, they could have definitely kept Mookie Betts, but they chose not to. They wanted to build and be cheaper. And, I mean, it worked for Bloom in, in Tampa, but the, Tampa, Boston is on Tampa Bay. They care about everything about 100 times more, no matter what it is. So uh, good luck this year. Now, the 2019 Astros had a dominant team all around. You had Colin Verlander and Wade Miley and their pitching staff to pitch very well. Altuve, Springer, Bregman, Brantley, and rookie Jordan Alvarez. Now, Alvarez, Alvarez, as a rookie, hit 313 with 27 homers and drove in 78 runs and only 313 at-bats, and he won Rookie of the Year. Well, this spring he is experiencing some issues. Lingering knee issues for Alvarez caused him to be removed from the lineup for Tuesday's game against the Cardinals, so yesterday. Lingering knee issues for Alvarez caused him – I've heard – this is from Dusty Baker. I've heard he's had knee problems for a long time. He's working on it. The trainer just thought it was a precautionary that he skip a couple of days. Buying or selling, Jordan Alvarez will have a sophomore slump.
1: Ooh. I'm
2: buying.
1: Maybe just because I want it to happen. (laughs)
2: Remember, I annoyed him being the—he'll be the greatest home run hitter exactly, ever. Exactly, exactly. I didn't realize he's always had knee problems. Yeah, they, he's been trying to play the outfield more, but he's only, i think it was going to be his second start in the outfield this year, and he—he he couldn't even do it because, well, um, he's having knee problems. So. By the way,
1: I did not realize Eno Saris ranked every ballpark by by uh,
2: beer. Yeah. Coliseum was uh was it 17th or something? 13th. 13th, yeah.
1: How are we 13th? California's known for craft beer. He's got Cleveland ahead of us, Detroit ahead of us. Come on, Coliseum. Step your game up. He does he does give uh love to our beloved
2: treehouse. What what's what was number 1? I forget. Uh, uh, Seattle's one, San Diego's two. Okay, that makes sense. Seattle had some nice place, uh, place up there. I
1: mean, Minnesota's ahead of us. Cincinnati, the
2: Natty. Come on, Miller Park. I mean, come on, it's
1: Miller Park. What they're 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 selling? Come on, Milwaukee's best. What do they got? (laughs) Miller Light. Yeah,
2: Miller Light. Come on. on. So we've seen. Speaking of Milwaukee, we saw the extension for Christian Yelich, the 2018. NL MVP yesterday. Now let the speculation begin. What young superstar or just young player in the game will get the next major extension? Will it be Bellinger? Will it be Carlos Correa? How about Chapman, Olsen, or Simeon? What about Javi Baez? Now, Javi Baez is 27, coming off a year where he produced a 4.8 war, hit 281 with 29 homers, and drove in 85 runs. During his career, he has a 16.6 war with 110 home runs and is already a two-time Hall star. We've heard about the Cubs wanting to trade some talent, but Baez is pretty valuable to that team for what he does, offensively and defensively. Buying or selling Javier Baez will be the next player to sign a long-term extension.
1: Selling. I'm going to predict it'll be Mookie Betts.
2: Wow, that's that's bold. I think th- I think it's going to be Juan Soto.
1: I think it's going to be Mookie Betts, and it'll happen before the end of the year.
2: That's. That's going to be great for now. now We talked, we talked about with Ned, how how are you going to resign? So
1: Mookie Betts comes out. He's looking at the team. He's looking at the farm system. He's playing in LA. And and as their play by play guy just told us, the media in LA is nothing like the media in, in Boston. LA is a great place to live. They come up with like 300000000 I million. I'll predict Mookie Betts will – Mookie Betts never sees free agency. He will sign with the Dodgers. And then that will set the
2: tone for the Bellinger contract. I would like to see him stay in L.A. That's a great one-two punch with him and Bellinger. And then you got Trout and Rendon and Shohei Otani down Keep there. Keep him out of the American League. Yeah. Last one, and we're finally going to get to it. Small market teams need to do something creative to win. Well, I can't name small market teams, just teams that don't spend money sometimes. Billy had Moneyball. The Rays and the Pirates shifted their infield. The Rays also had the opener. Well, the Padres are using a triumvirate of managers this season. They have Jace Jace Tingler, associate manager, the first ever in Major League Baseball, Skip Schumacher, and bench coach Bobby Dickinson. So two well, weeks ago, bench coach, non-manager. Yeah, well, that's how, they, how they, they have them. list. they all have shared responsibilities. Last Thursday, Schumacher pinch hit for Jace Tingler speaking to the media, which will be a weekly occurrence, according to Barry Bloom of Forbes. Now, you may have heard of Phil Wrigley's College of Coaches back in the early 1960s when he owned the Cubs. If Wrigley became upset with one guy, he'd go to another, using seven coaches to manage during the 1961 and 62 seasons. Managers are expendable, Wrigley said at the time. There should be a relief manager, just like there are relief pitchers. The practice practice effectively was abandoned after the Cubs lost 193 games during those two years, when morale in the club was so low, low, even Ernie Banks did want to play too. (laughs) Banks compiled 56 home runs and 184 184 RBIs, but the Hall of Fame shortstop couldn't save them. So buying or selling the Padres will change baseball forever.
1: This is so Padre like. <laughs> this is so Padre. Get
2: Bob Towns on the phone. Let's see what he thinks.
1: Oh my God, AJ Preller has been a disaster ever since he came over to run the Padres from the Texas Rangers. An absolute disaster. This will be a disaster, and this is why the Dodgers keep winning the division every year because they they got the talent, they got the farm system, they don't make idiot moves. When's the next year you think the Dodgers don't win the West? This is going to be a Braves-like
2: run. This is going to go double digits. Remember, we already started talking, calling them the Buffalo Bills of baseball. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a couple years. Several? How about many years? Many years. I think that's...
1: Three a- managers. If you have three managers, you, you don't, don't have, have one. You don't have a manager, yeah. And... You, you, you're, how are you gonna get? There has to be some guy that the buck stops with one guy. The buck stops with Bob Melvin. H- how's that gonna work with three managers? And how, they, and the players are the if you are not getting the respect from ownership, how are you gonna get the respect from players?
2: Telling you, Bruce Bochy, twenty twenty one manager of the Padres. We've been saying that since uh, since he, he stepped well, uh, since he re- retired and the Padres job opened when they fired Andy Green. That's all I got. Uh, The other one was, will the Rays win the uh, AL East? But I think uh, everyone's starting to pick the Rays. They're the sexy pick right now. Still spring training. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live.
1: We want to thank everybody who stopped by the show. Melissa Lockhart, Ned Colletti, Ray Fossey, Eno Saris. Uh, Who am I missing?
2: Tim Neverett, the voice the voice of the Dodgers, because Hembo has family in town. He's going to join us later this week.
1: Beautiful. All right, we're going to replay the show. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll be on A's Total Access at 1230. One a co- no, the Bay Area will be 1130. <laughs> this, is, this hour ahead's been screwing Le-
2: 1130 up. Bo- both I'll, days. In
1: the Bay Area, I'll be on at 1130. Dodgers and A's will be on at noon. And then after, we'll have A's Cast Live to 7 o'clock, where I will be in the
2: ballpark by myself. You're looking forward to it. I'm mean, a little scary, right? Being the we only did it yesterday. We did it yesterday. But I'm going to be like solo. But no, there, there might actually be people here because unlike yesterday when the A's played at Glendale, uh, we were the only one, literally the only people here. There might still be people lingering around cleaning the field and cleaning the stands.
1: All righty, we'll see you all tomorrow right here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast for the Dodgers and the Athletics.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.